1: All right, it is a uh, Tuesday. Good to have you here. Uh, in the studio is the uh, power panel. Let me tell you who we got and who we don't have. So Jan Morgan is not here today. Uh, they are, uh, or she is, on her her uh, anniversary Oh, doing her thing. I don't know how many years she and her husband have been married, but she said that they were going to be on uh, their anniversary, and that's why... She didn't want
2: to spend that with us,
1: Well, she said that's (laughs) why she wouldn't be at the event that happened this morning at 10 o'clock in the Rotunda, and that she was going to be at uh, uh, former State Senator Linda Collins' uh, funeral uh, on Saturday. Okay. Uh, So she'll be there. I know that Brenda and Joe are going to be there as well they they couldn't make it today so they'll be there on uh, on uh, what is it uh, Friday's the viewing I think it was from five until eight um, at the at her church and then the uh, the the funeral will be at uh, ten o'clock at her church there in Pocahontas <coughs> So that's on Saturday morning. I, I can't be there because i got to be here on the radio at that time. So uh, I went over today, had a very nice remembrance uh, service today at the Rotunda. Paul was there, saw mm-hmm. him. Um, some other folks that uh, were around, Gary Stubblefield, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I saw him yeah, immediately he, when yeah, I walked in. Yeah, he spoke. Yeah, and he spoke, and it, it was really... Uh, a great little remembrance that he had of, of Linda Collins. And what I thought was uh, interesting, I, I I posted a picture on my Facebook, so that, that he's the picture that I included. I didn't record everything because the rotunda is the worst place in the world as far as I'm concerned. To try to pick up the, audio. Yeah, huh? off of your phone. Unless you have a, a lavalier or a microphone sitting right in front of them, you get all that echo. And so... Uh, Instead of you trying to pick through it and figuring out what people are saying, I decided just not to to record it at all. Paul Harrell was there. Saw him. Uh, Josh was there. Um, They had a lot of, I saw Robin Lundstrom was there. Ran into her, talked to her a little bit. she would be on my show here in the future. I'm going to have her and and Julie Mayberry to join us here. I thought two of the outstanding uh, legislators uh, for conservatives this year in the house for both women and uh, we'll have them on to talk about that dan sullivan was there mm-hmm. talked to him a little bit a lot of people were there mm-hmm. i what, what would you say a couple hundred people
2: there might have been that many there in the rotunda yeah it's, yeah, it's there, a pretty was, good crowd yeah it, it, both democrats and republicans yeah. showed up and, and, and ballinger was there ballinger was and there. Uh, missy uh, alan Irv-
1: clark was there missy Irvin I mean, was there she, and she, she, a lot of different she places. spoke and then yeah um,
2: and Aaron Hogan was one of the one um, of her good was one of Linda Collins' good friends that that also worked with her during the yeah yeah she'd show up
1: over and uh, always precede Linda before <laughs> when Linda would come on my show I don't know what it was that they talked about like you know don't get carried away with Dave, you know, because she could get carried away with me, and and I would ask her to come on, and here's what she always said to me. She'd say, Dave, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and then you're going to say what I said in your way. 'Cause she knew what my way always was. <laughs> I'd say, Well Linda can't say it this way, but I want to say what I think she's th- what she was thinking. <laughs> you're be, all a bunch of idiots. She's gonna read yeah. between, you're gonna read between <laughs> the lines for her, uh, You know. Oh, she was a great woman. She really, really was. And to hear some of the people who served with her speak out about mm-hmm. you know, knowing her not only when you be in committee or having lunch together or whatever but you know spending time together and getting to know somebody Mm -hmm. and traveling together and i thought really interesting when gary stubblesfield said that they had had some very deep spiritual talks together and he said that's the one thing everybody must understand about linda collins is she stood on principle Mm -hmm. and her principles are based on the bible so that was Hey, you know what? If your principles are based on the Bible and what it really says, and not what you want to make it say, but what it really says, you're getting somewhere. That's the bedrock of truth. Uh, you mean right on there. solid
3: rock instead of on sand?
1: That's exactly right. That's that's solid truth, and 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 you can't find truth in the in the in the world we live in now because you. Well, my truth. You hear people mm-hmm. say that. You know, as far as my truth goes, no, no, look, there's not your truth and my truth you don't get and your, yours over there. You don't get your through. own set of facts. No, there is truth. Truth is truth, period,
2: period. You can have your own. Anything toothbrush. else is a lie. You can have your own toothbrush or your own soft ring, but you don't get your own set of facts. And
1: it makes everybody get uncomfortable when I start talking about <laughs> There is only one truth.
3: I thought it was interesting. There's not multiple truths. Is Am I correct, Carl? I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, There is a strange term called antinomialism. Yes, I know It it has to do with rejecting absolute values, and it was to combat antinomialism that the Old Testament prophets wrote their books to affirm that there is a truth that transcends man's desire. And they had a really tough...
1: You know, crowd, because if, <laughs> that's, that's, if, if they made some kind of a statement <clears throat> and it didn't come true, they stoned you to death.
3: They had some pretty tough audiences, the, no doubt. They about did. It.
2: P- participatory um, punishments. Yeah.
3: That's one of the things that, that just really strikes me about our Democratic front runner this year is that the, he seems to be ready to throw out any principle he ever held at the drop of a hat if it means being in good with the uh, marxist whack jobs who apparently run his party these days uh, throwing throwing <laughs> that's out That's a nice way of saying well, You know that, that you know th- this business with the Hyde amendment you can be for a woman's right to choose you can think that a woman can do anything she wants to do with her body and anything that's attached to it right up until the moment it's detached but that still doesn't give you the right to force people who feel entirely differently about it to participate in it and pay for it. And that was the point of the Hyde Amendment it was to kind of prevent it. people who have a conscience-driven objection to, let's just call it baby murdering for the lack sure. of a, a less precise term. And uh, if you're objecting to that And you don't want to pay for it. The government shouldn't come in and force you to pay for it. But then that means that's one less piece of free stuff Uh that gets offered by the party of free stuff to people that fall for the free lunch.
1: Isn't it amazing that they say this is protecting a black woman's right to choose?
3: As as if a, a black woman couldn't go out and earn the living to be able to pay for their own abortion the way white women it does, could.
1: It's amazing. It, it just women in minority hardest hit. Don't you, don't you? I got to believe if if my color was black or my color was brown or whatever other color than what I am, is that I would take I would take deference. There's somebody saying that.
3: Well, no, he should, and and I don't think that I'm out of line to say that many of my Christian brothers and sisters who are of African American descent would be equally outraged at their being forced to pay for abortions too. Yes, and and the thing is that this is it's a. It's a longstanding principle based on American uh, ideals of fairness, much like the masterpiece cake guy that I'm sure we'll talk about eventually. Yeah, you're going to hear some of that. But uh, in in the case of the Hyde Amendment, there's something that, in in order to seem like a reasonable, not-too-whacked-out Democrat, Joe Biden has, for 40 years, said he supported the Hyde Amendment and that taxpayers should not pay for abortions. Now, all of a sudden— he 's got to join the crowd and it's, and he has and, and, and he will jettison a principle that he's pretended to have for forty years because he didn't really have principles well, he had he yeah. had positions of advantage politically, and the political landscape is shifting, and his so-called principles are shifting right with so, him
2: so really that may not have ever been a principle, but rather it, no. was, it was a what would you call it? it? It was
1: political a, expediency.
2: Yeah, perhaps. That, that's, that's the better way to put that's it. That's the more a,
3: common term for
2: what I just right. said. Or, yes. or form of, thank you for cutting or or to a the chase. Form chaser. of pragmatism. This is, you know, no, it's not even pragmatism.
1: it's, maybe, it, it's expediency. It wasn't, it wasn't you good good know that you got to change your your stance
3: so that you have a chance. No, they pointed out to him that out of twenty-four Democrat candidates, he was the, the only one. one that didn't want to take taxpayer money to pay for abortions, and so he couldn't be that far. Out on a limb, he couldn't be that far party. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. he couldn't be that far correct, That's morally it. or philosophically yep. either. But you know, you asked last week, Dave, what we thought about the chances of the uh, Democratic shaking up, and I, and I kind of took a cowardly way out and said, "Well, Biden's got this huge lead now." But mm-hmm. but you know, the it's, more, I've,
1: it's eroding.
3: Well, the more I've thought about it since, you know, I thought that you know, if the guy that was the front runner at this point in the process actually came through to win. In 1973, we'd have uh, inaugurated President Edmund Muskie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1985, we would have inaugurated uh, President Gary Hart. Um, we would have, What was the name of his boat? Uh, monkey Business. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was in 89. Excuse me, in 89, we would have inaugurated uh, President Hart Pence of the Monkey Business <laughs> yeah. thing. And, and uh, in 2000? Uh, let's see, who was it that was the front runner? It wasn't Jeb, I mean, it wasn't the George Bush. He kind of came from behind on that. I'm, 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 my memory's slipping on who was ahead in 2000. But in 2016, we'd have, we'd have elected president jeb bush if being the front runner this early yep. meant anything That's correct. so you know in a way thank you jesus yeah in 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 a, in a way being ahead <laughs> in the polls this far out is like being leading the indy 500 on lap 16 saying ah so far so good
1: Yeah, no, no it's winning what the steve forbes
3: was it no yeah well yeah steve, he was steve up there forbes bill was, bradley was one of the ones bradley Barry bauer al right. gore oh
1: gosh no al gore al gore was not a republican never Well, no, no well but we but were talking about was, people that had he, lead in their party oh, and, oh, and oh, their party's process okay. okay yeah uh,
3: like edmund muskie boy edmund muskie was so far ahead of everybody in 1971 you know he had name recognition he'd been secretary of state i think you know? was he the one that cried Yes, he was. He, saw, he was in, in a snowstorm. was in a snowstorm in New Hampshire, and, and he claimed it was just melting snow, but it um, wasn't. He cried. <laughs> it kind of looked that way.
1: <laughs> he looked like a wussy. What was well, he crying he,
3: about? Um, i forget. somebody was mean to him in politics oh, in the was, New Hampshire primary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
1: bring him yeah. back. <laughs> bring <laughs> him back, and, news, news, and let's really the news show media him mean. Treat him uh, fairly. All right, when we come back, do we still have that clip from yesterday? I want to play it for Carl and and Paul uh, from uh, that feminist, (coughs) Sophie, Sophie Lewis. Do you still have a hold of that?
3: I'll have to go find it here in a second. Okay,
1: if you could get that, when we come back, I'd like to play it because this is a feminist talking, at least admitting that abortion is killing.
3: I, I think I heard that on your show yeah, I yesterday. yesterday. I that was play. you, played that yesterday yeah, afternoon. I played after. it, I it I four times because I want people to yeah. hear it.
2: Is it as is It'll, it as awful as the, the quote from the oh, oh, the, she's, ga, she, the gal here?
3: The woman was honest. At least she was horrible and immoral, but right. she was honest. Yeah. she said she said it's it's a baby. And, and it's killing. And I don't care. He says, I don't care if it's a baby. I don't care that it's killing. I don't want to do gestational he work. He say, her she words, says, not mine. we just need to find a way to, no, live it. with it, to defend to Defend it. We have to find, this so, is killing. So she's. Oh, we got to be able to defend it. So, yeah. she's, established like just so she's
2: established her conclusion, and now we need to find a, find a way to do it. Well, exactly.
1: And she makes, you, you got to hear it, Paul, yeah. all right, because when you hear it, it really shows you where the left's mindset is, and it's exactly where we've been warning everybody it was going to end up at, so that, and it's there
2: now. So she's actually opened up and she's
1: honest. Well, yeah, she, she, she's, she's, honest, 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 about she's, honest, she's honest, honest about that. She's honest about it's we, killing, and yeah, and she's honest about saying, you know, we got to learn that. Defend this. How killing. to live. How to live and die right, or something i forget i you'll hear it okay you're no, gonna hear no better it better than butchering we we'll, we'll, we'll get it. Yeah. well yeah well, when you know what when a when a rat is a dog is a boy, is, is a boy i mean that's just where are you going to end up at oh. as I always tell everybody, if you actually believe that, then tonight when you have dinner, put your food in a bowl next to your dogs and get down on all fours and eat it with. Well, when them.
3: you want to talk about a slippery slope i think we're at the part that kind of turns up at the end just before we go flying off into the swamp and that's probably that's after you listen to this woman very
1: much yeah. that way let's take a break then we'll come back to dave Ellswick show carl kimball is here as well as paul calvert jan morgan is celebrating her anniversary so we'll cut her some slack and i won't have to cut her check in half <laughs> it's the dave ellswick show here at 101.1 fm the answer all right back with you sophie lewis we she is a feminist and she is the feminist of all feminists as far as i'm concerned that i've heard now, she'll use a whole lot of terminology to try to throw you off from hearing what she's really saying But I just want you to listen to this. This is her talking about abortion is a form of killing that we need to be able to defend. Her words, not mine.
4: We're facing a really terrifying attack on abortion in the U.S. where I live, in Northern Ireland and elsewhere. In the past, the strategies that um, our side has tended to use have included a kind of uh, seeding of ground to our enemies. We tend to say um, that abortion is indeed very bad, but, or we say, um, luckily it's not killing, luckily it's just a healthcare right. We have very little to lose at the moment when it comes to abortion, and I'm interested in winning radically. And I wonder if we could think about defending abortion as a right to stop doing gestational work. Abortion is, in my opinion, um, and I recognize how controversial this is, um, a form of killing. It is a, a form of um, killing that uh, we need to be able to defend. Um, I am not interested in where a human life starts to um, exist. Um, I see the forms of making and unmaking each other as sort of continuous processes. Um, The other end of the spectrum is the process of learning how to die well and hold each other and let each other go at the end of our lives as well as at the beginning. Um, But looking at the biology of this kind of hemochorial placentation helps me think about um, the violence that. Innocently, a fetus meets out um, vis-à-vis a a gestator Um, and that violence is is an unacceptable violence for someone who doesn't want to do gestational work. Um, The violence that that gestator meets out to essentially go on strike or exit (laughs) that, that workplace is an acceptable violence.
1: It's acceptable violence by the gestator to kill the fetus or whatever she wants to call the unborn baby who is bringing violence against the gestator. The Simon Legree that's forcing her to do gestational. I mean, work. listen, listen to that. I mean, I, I listen. To that it just makes my blood run cold because. She's talking abortion for a moment, and then she says, and she just says as, as an aside, just like at the end of life, we must learn how to die well, and hold which people. Which means, which means, when people, the government
2: tells you to, that's I right. Present. Hold <laughs>
1: people in your arms and let them go.
2: And, and she mentioned making and unmaking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're going to take into the to your hands. The making and unmaking of human life. Making, that's un, unmaking, that's another word for See, she wants.
1: She wants universal surrogacy through
3: artificial means. If there was ever an, anybody who was a great candidate for having their tubes tied off, <laughs> I mean, I, I would never want to force that woman to do gestational work. But <laughs> by her terminology and her candor... She shows that human life is not a value to her. It's Jeez.
1: disposable.
3: Exactly. And and apparently it's disposable at either end.
1: That's exactly right.
3: That's what uh, so, that, that that's what that was you a don't want to lose. Yeah. That was a big clue, Dave, when she threw in the end of life part two. It it absolutely shows that, that there is someone with no respect whatsoever for human life. And uh None. how how do you how would you argue with someone with that lack of values or that? Well, we got to go to the news. Okay.
1: When we come back, we're going to talk further about this here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Carl and I sharing some thoughts about philosophy. <coughs> I was a philosophy minor in college. Yeah, I had a year on and, and, I, and the reason we got there is because I was talking about Francis Schaeffer. He wrote a book called Whatever Happened to the Human Race? If you can still get a copy of that, read it. It came out in the late 70s, maybe early 80s, because it was Schaefer and who was the – he was in the Reagan administration. He was the um, doctor or whatever they called him back in like – Surgeon General. Surgeon General. Who was Surgeon General? Uh, Coop, was it Yeah, Coop. Coop. C. Everett Coop. He co- he co-authored the book. Oh, really? And I'm I'm telling you, if you read that book when it was written, okay, so we're talking, eight, let's just say eighty one, okay. So we're talking thirty odd years ago, mm-hmm. almost forty, pretty close. You will read that book and go, oh my God, this guy was a prophet. He is right on. I mean, from from Roe v. Wade to today, he had it down he said that we'd end up killing our old people we'd kill end up killing our kids he said and it, then it just makes a bunch sense of
3: people who don't share the values of the country to make things work and do the things that we don't have people to do because we've aborted them all or killed them yeah. all yeah
1: i mean it's just amazing well, uh, to read i'm gonna go back and read the book again and, and this is part and
3: parcel with that with that rejection that of values you know they're going to reject the value of life They want to reject the values of Christianity. Did she hear what she said?
1: She said in that segment. Let's play that one more time. I want want you to listen to when she says, I don't
3: care when when life life starts. It's irrelevant. She's going to kill it either
4: way. Here it is. We're facing a really terrifying attack on abortion in the U.S. where I live, in Northern Ireland and elsewhere. In the past, the strategies that um, our side has tended to use have included a kind of uh, seeding of ground to our enemies. We tend to say um, that abortion is indeed very bad, but, or we say, um, luckily it's not killing, luckily it's just a healthcare right. We have very little to lose at the moment when it comes to abortion, and I'm interested in winning radically. And I listen, wonder if we could think about right defending abortion as a right to stop doing gestational work. Abortion is, in my opinion, um, and I recognize how controversial this is, um, a form of killing. It is a a form of um, killing that uh, we need to be able to defend. Um, I am not interested in where a human life starts to um exist. Um I see the forms of making and unmaking each other as sort of continuous processes. Um the other end of the spectrum is the process of learning how to die well and hold each other and let each other go at the end of our lives as well as at the beginning. Okay, um, we can stop it right but there. At let the me bu- just
1: say this. As you listen to her you, in, you you put a Democrat into the White House, that's what you're putting into the White House. Exactly. They listen, may, just think about what Hillary Clinton said in that final it. debate mm-hmm. when they asked her at eight and a half months if it was all right to abort a child, and she said
3: it's a woman's right to choose. Rough. Well, Ralph, Ralph Nolvin wants to have fourth quarter or fourth trimester yeah. abortions. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, that's what you get—a not just a different set of values, but a rejection of the value systems of Western civilization. Yeah. The, the the thing that I heard that was interesting was, she said, "So that we don't have to do gestational work."
1: Yeah, you don't want to be forced to be a mother. I
3: wouldn't want her to
1: be. If you don't want
3: to do gestational work. work, quit having sex. Yeah, there's there's a way to close your legs. There's a way to release tire tubes. Go to the doctor and ask your tubes to be tied. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, it's part and parcel. They reject the value of human life. They reject the Ten Commandments. They reject the Electoral College. Anything that we have had in our civilization that has worked and that has been the bedrock of our civilization is rejected. We're talking about moving away from not just the way things used to be we're talking about moving away from western civilization much less moving away from america
2: well if you get rid of if you get rid of principles then what is there that you can't do there is nothing it's if it, Everything it's, in, the, in, it's any, all
3: open it, it's the, if
1: to it your feel, truth to your truth what's your truth the, that's what i'm trying good to tell the
3: crowd is has already commandeered one major political party in this country and now they'd like to commandeer the entire country
2: well, and, and they're making headway. Unfortunately, they are.
3: They are. Making they're winning because headway. they
1: say it's a woman's choice, and ladies, you're not thinking about what they're saying. That's the key. Sounds nice. Ends in death.
2: Yeah. yeah, and she and she's finally admitting it is a it is a form of killing, and we need to be okay with that. Yeah, basically, basically, what we need she's saying, what she it. Said. Not okay with it. Defend it. I mean, that's uh, it's. On some level, I'm kind of glad that she's coming out and being candid with it, but it, on the other hand, it's it's um, I suppose kind of disturbing no. that she would that she would kind of a- disturbing acknowledge makes you, my blood run cold every time I play that segment. And, but how many people? I would say a lot of Democrats are probably not haven't put their their minds around it this much to actually recognize it.
1: Because they do what Schaefer always said. Schaefer said, take your philosophy and take it to its logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. And that is the logical conclusion of death right there. Sure. She was clear about it.
3: At least you know where she stands. Yeah. And she stands on on the opposite side of Western civilization. At least
2: she knows where she stands. You know what she
3: stands?
1: She has a seat at the table when the Nazis sat around the big table and decided they'd do the final solution.
3: that's how they talk that's the kind of thinking Uh, and and that's 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 the direction that you head in when when human life is not sacred when killing is something that we've got to defend she didn't care about life she said that very clearly yeah yeah. it doesn't matter whether whether human life begins at conception or at birth or or halfway through pregnancy whatever doesn't matter to her
1: no doesn't matter to her killing it is killing it we because look it's it's committing violence against me because I have to carry that
3: child. That's what she said, isn't it? It's kind of violent against the child, too. Oh, yeah. The difference is the child never asked for the situation. That's exactly right.
1: It's the only thing that's innocent in all of it.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And, and sometimes the fact is that, you know, occasionally women get pregnant because they're raped. And so it is somewhat unfortunate that they have to deal with, with being pregnant and, and taking care of the child. But, you know, all of us get hurt from time to time.
1: I'm going to stop you one place there. Okay. You said that they have to take care. Of, you know, they don't have to take care of the child. I'm going to tell you right now. Them, right. You can adopt a child like that. Yeah, A, newly, a newly born right. child. And no many doubt
2: cases at all. There's people
1: lined up for it. And them. people are ready to
2: take those children. Right, but but at the very least, she has to has to carry it through the through term. But you know, most of us, I think, would recognize. You know, I, I kind of use the boat analogy. You know, if if I've like years ago, it would be maybe more relevant. But if you if, you, if a shipmaster finds some three year old stowed away on his ship, he finds him two hundred miles offshore. He can't send him back.
1: You,
3: you, he
2: can't According
1: throw, to her, just throw them in the in the drink. Well,
3: I, that's that's kind of what I was of about what, to say. That's uh, yeah. the equivalent analogy. Well, I think so. Yeah, and just so, tossing them over the rail. Right, what yeah, are you so, doing your
2: kid? Right, and so the the thing is, though, that you're going to be eating food that somebody else may need. And, and yeah, well, and so the, the, at the end of the day, is okay. The kid doesn't have a right to be there, but the value of life is so high that it's wrong to throw the kid overboard. You know, it would be wrong even if it was Life an adult. Life isn't that high anymore. Right. Well, I, I, you're right, I think. But but even if the, if the stowaway was an adult, it, say it was a, a 23-year-old man, it was a stowaway. You still can't throw him overboard. Life is so valuable. Now, you can make him pay for what he eats. You can make him pay for his passage. You, you lock can him in the brig and give him bread and water. You can force him to work on board ship to pay for his passage. You can't throw him overboard unless there's a severe danger by having him there.
1: Now, according mm-hmm. to Sophie Lewis. Now, apparently. On, on principle, Lewis, why not toss him overboard? That's over her board? name.
3: That's going to be a hard name to forget. Yeah. Just because... God. Boy, that, that, is this, that little clip that you played, you're right, it makes the skin crawl. Is, is yeah, it really It's kind
1: does. of similar to that. that and make, I'm just telling you, there's more than just her that feel that well, way. It doesn't surprise
2: me. Is it kind of similar to that? Probably everybody in Planned Parenthood. Is it kind of similar to that mm-hmm. gal there at the Capitol this past session that said, we're, we're going to give the child back to God? Oh, God, huh? yeah. Did she actually use the term child? Yes. Wow. I can't remember. I was in the room when, that, when she said said that, well, I wish that I had the record.
1: A, I may be able to go back and find I that. I bet you, I bet you can.
2: Up. If you can figure out what bill it was that, that she was testifying on, Jason may, Jason raper might be able to help us. We'll with find
1: that. it. Yeah. We'll find it. And that's probably one of Raper's bills. It might probably, have been. I don't what it was. It was in the Senate, I believe. Okay, so here, Bill Maher, one of my favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite people. Is Trump winning or losing? Let's find out what Bill Maher says when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. So is Trump winning or is he losing? Let's ask Bill Maher. Cold out in the
6: winter. Oh, there's your global he warming. You doesn't get
7: the difference between weather and climate, although one of his golf clubs asked for a
6: seawall because of the effects of <laughs> Okay, but you tell me, is that somebody who really doesn't understand that, or is he just trolling? I think a lot of times he's just owning the libs. That is what Demo- what Republicans do in this era more than any policy they want to make liberals cry. And Republicans, or do you think he is a class of his own? Well, he's both i mean he it's so funny because he's the worst of both worlds. What I never get about um, the Republican base is that they never catch on to the bait and switch, Mm. that he's this new kind of Republican. But when he gets into office, what does he do? Tax cut for the rich people. The person who's going to... Always, I'm going to stand up for you, the little guy. I'm going to be your voice. And then they get into office, and where does the money go? Why can't we have nice things like infrastructure? It's because they spent a trillion dollars giving money to the people who need it the least. There went that trillion dollars. It's funny, when Democrats are in office, you can't spend any money because we have a debt, and it's going to saddle our grandchildren. And how can you do that? As soon as the Republican gets into office. They put everything on the card. And then when they get out of office, they're like a blackout drunk. I did what? Mm. I spent what? Oh, God, the money And they often win the
7: narrative that Democrat means tax and spend.
6: It's amazing how they do that. I don't know how they win the narrative on anything. How do they win the narrative on being the party of national defense? I mean, Donald Trump is a guy who literally takes sides with countries that are not us. Mm. That may not technically be the definition of treason, but it's good enough for me when it, when the president of the United States says, OK, I listen to my people, you know, the thank you for your service people, which we should say to them, the admirals, the generals, those people, the FBI, the CIA. They all told me one thing, but I'm going with the head of Russia or Kim Jong Un. I'm going to believe him over them. What? Uh, just I'm, I'm a crazy guy. Agree with the people who are Americans.
7: Why don't. The voters who support the president who almost to a man or woman say I'm a patriot and what pisses me off about the Democrats is that they don't love our country enough. Why didn't the example of Helsinki, let's say, why wasn't that enough to change how you
6: feel? I have because it's a cult. It's a great question. I ask it all the time. Why do Republicans get what I've called patriotic immunity? They can do anything, and they're not questioned. Whereas a Democrat in office, the least little thing, and they make it up. You know, he uh, apologized on foreign soil. Okay, was that in the rule book? I don't remember that. Or he, you know, he wore a tan suit. Remember Obama? Oh, sure. He he was saluted with coffee in his hand. How? Did, what? Your guy's a traitor. He literally sides with countries that aren't America. And you're talking about a tan suit. I don't get it. Do you think he's winning? Yes. And I'm sick of winning. He's right. I got sick of winning. His winning. <clears throat> but we'll see. You know, I mean, a, a lot of the recent polls uh, show, it's funny, in, in a great economy, mm-hmm. but not great for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that. But that's narrative. Yeah. Well, yes, it's low unemployment. But what kind of jobs do people have? How secure right. are they? Can what they about go? underemployment? Yeah. Can they get health care? They- less hours, right. less money. Uh, they never, again, they never seem to catch on to this bait and switch about... Um you you vote for this guy who's going to be the little man's champion. Mm-hmm. He gives all the money to all the right, rich people. So you, you the have basis that the your,
1: reason that I played that is because he Bill Morrow said, Trump is winning. <laughs> He's winning. Now, they went through a whole litany of what they think Trump is doing wrong, and his whole thing about the defense spending and all the rest, they said, and you know, you're you're throwing your lot in with our enemies. Let me remind him that we won World War Two probably, because we threw our lot in with our enemy and knew it was our enemy when we did it, called Russia. Uncle
3: Joe. Yeah. Well, I tell you, uh, it's, that's kind of discouraging that there are so many people that feel that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, he talks about, about the guy that sides with our enemies. Well, you know, uh, who... Went to the Russians to get a fake dossier made up <laughs> in order to Clinton. use the FBI to smear her political opponent. Mm-hmm. Who.
1: And who got behind that uh, who, other
3: than the President of the United uh, who's States? Whose husband and phony charity got hundreds of thousands of dollars for setting up a deal where Vladimir Putin got control of 23 percent of the United States uranium. Uh, I I believe that was a Democrat that did that by Mm -hmm. the initials of Hillary Clinton. And who was it that sent pallets full of literally hundreds of millions of dollars to in cash to terrorists as part of a deal saying it's okay if you get nukes in 10 years. Oh, well, who, I don't think that was a Republican.
1: Who, who gave China all of the necessary computer technology that they needed so that they could defeat our computer technology?
5: Oh, well,
3: was that That was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton made it possible for the Chinese communist dictators to have multiple reentry vehicle ICBMs for the first time. And there was a lot of cash flowing into his campaign from the Chinese uh, People's Liberation Army that year. Uh, Some of it went through supposedly impoverished monks who all presented identical $1,000 checks on the same day to Al Gore during a speech he made at some Buddhist convent. Uh, Gee, great move, Al. Yeah, tell me more about how it's the Republicans. And you know I'm not standing up for the Republicans. I've never been one. Those guys are way too far left for me. I know. But— I'm it sorry
1: that I'm too far left. But, but, it, but it,
3: it was not the Republicans that sold our country out repeatedly to communist dictatorships. And I tell you, Bill and Hillary are just up to their armpits in helping themselves to large amounts of cash for assisting in that kind of stuff. And, and they want to make it out that Trump is the traitor, that Republicans are the ones that always defeat our country by siding with its enemies. Give me a break, as a certain Democrat from Ohio used to
1: yeah. say. Okay, so tell me, uh, Zach, how much time is cut three? Do we have time to get that in before top of the hour? We don't. Okay, i got to do it next hour. Because Marr goes on to talk about that the reason progressivenessism uh, is not being embraced by more of the public in America is because the far-left political correctness is a cancer. Now, I will disagree with his progressivism, but I will agree with what he's saying about political uh, correctness being a cancer. We'll get to that next hour. I'm going to and talk about immigration reform as well.
3: And, of course, it's a fake terminology to start with. The progressive movement and progressive philosophy came in about 100 years ago. And it was the idea that if the right people were in charge of government and the right people were in charge of society and we could bypass all these elections and electoral colleges and and the will of the people People. and just have experts. That was the idea of progressivism in the early 20th century. People need to be ruled. uh. Yes. It's it's that we don't know what's good for us. Mm -hmm. And Smart people like uh, Croy and and Mann and these, and those progressives of the early twentieth these highly century, intelligent people that, that can't Noah figure out if they're boys us. or
2: girls are going to tell us how to live our lives and
3: and so the, it it eventually acquired such a stench in the nostrils of the American people that they started calling themselves liberals instead mm-hmm. until they'd taken a perfectly good word that used to mean the kind of things that America stood for liberal from the Latin root meaning Liberty. free Yes, liberty, free, liber free in latin they took a perfectly good word that during the 18th century was used by uh, american philosophers who were setting up our country now, john to, locke to describe others. yeah to describe the uh, the type of society where people got to make their own choices and weren't told what to do by the king yeah, and they've appropriated that word the real pro choice they've appropriated that word liberal which used to mean good things like the founders of america were liberals in the sense that it was used in the 1700s Classic Exactly. And that's why you have to say classic liberals yep. today. Because in escaping the stench in the nostrils of the American people that the progressive movement eventually became, they called themselves liberals so that it sounded like they were nice and sweet. And, and, then after, and now it's stenched out and, with that. Yeah, and they've, they've made they've made the word liberal such a stench in the nostrils of the American they've people gone back to that the you got Hillary Clinton saying, no, I'm not a liberal, I'm a progressive. Yeah.
2: So that, Same damn thing. So they were they were liberal with principles
3: yes they were certainly liberal with other people's money
2: what did what
1: the mayor say you know bait and switch yeah that's what it is we'll be back we're going to talk about immigration uh, when we come back and i've got uh, an idea about how to build roads that isn't like what we're using right now we'll talk about it here on the dave ellswick show all right continue on carl kimball's here i'm glad that you're here carl Thank you for saying so. I really like, the. you bring out a lot of very, very, you you have a great way with words. During the break, I was telling him, I still use two things that he said. This had to be back in 2001. Was that uh, what we were doing, the the acts of food tax? And we were talking and he made the statement that, uh, you know, he refused to lick the bottom of, uh,
3: How how does it go again? I refuse to lick the sole of the boot that's on my neck. That's
1: right. Okay. And I agree with that. And I also agree that it's wrong that the government takes the first bite out of your food dollar. I still feel that way. Exactly that way. Amen, bro. And that was just... Those well, thank, just, those, thank you those, for those inviting me, David. Think about that. It's That's always, 17 years those are stayed yeah. with me.
3: Well, it's always, it's always a real honor to be on the radio with my favorite radio host of all time and the great Paul Calvert, who I always find very inspiring. It's nice to know there are some people younger than me that haven't given up on traditional Western values. I feel that thank way about Zach. <laughs> I feel that
1: way about Zach. <laughs> Zach's a good man, producer. too. Yeah, he's learning. He just broke into a, a new book that he hadn't read before. He's heard it, heard us talk about it. He's heard other people talk about it, 1984, oh. and telling them, read that book. It reflects our society today. Orwell
2: knew what he was talking about. What, what, year, what, what year was that actually written?
3: 1946. Oh, wow. and, and, in fact, when George Orwell released that book in 1946, he originally wanted the title to be 1948. Hmm. Yeah, you know, so this is right in the aftermath of World War II and the mm-hmm. great and the great communist and and western blocks had already begun to form. Cuz he was
1: a big anti-communist. And,
3: and, and, and he wanted yeah, he he started out being a communist yes. and mm-hmm. and real life had convinced him that it was a truly truly horrible thing in spite of how nice they made it sound at first when he was young and naive. Yep. But when he released that book in 1946, he wanted to call it 1948 and his editor wisely hoping to get more than 2 years worth a sales out of it. his editor for changed it from 1948 to 1984 and of course
1: uh, and think I, of where we're at now and people are still reading it
3: oh and i, I think about david bowie's fantastic album diamond dogs yep. that included the song 1984 which was of course that was released in uh, i believe it was 73 if i'm not mistaken 73 or 74 73 i'm pretty sure And yeah, 1984 (laughs) came and went, and and it was hard for me to say that the actual real 1984 when. The greatest president of my lifetime said to his opponent in a debate that he refused to use his opponent's youth and inexperience against him. That would be And, and when Reagan. Walter Mondale <laughs> laughed at that joke, I knew he had lost. It was already, and he over carried with. one, and he carried one state, yeah, Minnesota. So it was kind of hard to feel like 1984 was a good prediction for the year. But but it, 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 Orwell may not have pinpointed the year, but he pinpointed the trend. And we're a lot closer to it now than we were then. I got
1: to tell you what, I think culturally we're there.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you get to the point where they say, we don't care when life begins. Mm -hmm. Life is disposal. Truth is lies. Lies are truth. Good is bad. Evil is good. You know, there's this
1: book I know that said that that's the way it would be when things got at the end.
3: I think I remember reading that one, too, Dave. You were telling me earlier it was your one book that was more favorite than the one you'd mentioned in the last hour.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's called the Bible. Because mm. you know what? It's truth. If, if what you believe breaks against that rock, then it wasn't truth that you believed. Amen, brother. That's just the way it is. That is a rock that stands there. It is the epitome of truth. And, uh, you know, that's just important to keep that in mind. For all of you who dis, dis discount it now, I feel sorry for you.
3: Well, it's... Full of things that are sometimes hard to understand. There are, a few th- there are a few things in the Bible that may be hard to interpret or that people might get different interpretations of. But one thing that seems to be extremely clear, even in the sometimes confusing and difficult book of Revelation, which mm-hmm. is where... I think the, what you'd referred to originally came from. In the book of Revelation, there's one thing that's absolutely positively clear. When the last days come, you don't want to be on the side of killing all Jews.
1: Yeah, or all babies.
3: Or all babies, yeah. And but you don't you know, want to be there. But, but, but they, we've got but we've got lots of our politicians are wanting to line up with the kill all Jews, drive them gosh, into the it's sea. it's the same ones
1: that likes killing babies.
3: Yes, the same ones that like killing babies uh, are are lining up with. They're not saying kill all Jews, but they're lining up with the people that, whether they're saying it or not, that's their philosophy. No,
1: their anti-Semitism drips from their lips. Oh. He really, really does. Okay, before we go now, we, before we get on to that, because you and I could do two hours on that. We'd, we'd just tell Paul you could go home. <laughs> <laughs> no,
5: stay, Paul, <home>, please. <laughs> no, don't, I just stay here. Hey,
0: hey
2: but, I, get, I get a history lesson listening to you guys yeah, sometimes.
1: Let's, let's talk uh, about, uh, I want to do Bill Maher one more time. I This is, this is twice the <coughs> amount of Bill Maher I've ever played on my show. <laughs> <laughs> just to be honest. All right. Here's what he thinks about the far left's political correctness.
7: The Democrats are trying to decide about what you're calling comfortable shoes, the normalcy, and being aggressively progressive. Let's play Bernie Sanders. He's been the most outspoken on this.
6: There are some well-intentioned Democrats and candidates who believe that the best way forward is a middle ground strategy that antagonizes no one. That stands up to nobody, in my view, that approach is not just bad public policy, but it is a failed political strategy that I fear could end up with the reelection of Donald Trump. Is he right. That's a great question. I don't know. I can't lie to you. That's what we're trying to figure out right now. And that's what this election season is all about. I'm glad we have the time. We have debates coming up. We're going to have more of them. We're going to see how this plays out. And we're going to see what people's reaction to this is. But remember, this is going to be, because it is Trump, the dirtiest campaign ever. You have to look ahead. What are they going to attack? How are they going to swift boat whoever the candidate is? Because that's what they're going to do. That's what they always do.
7: In terms of how we police Chris the election, what we true. cover,
6: what we don't. The Democrats? No, the media. Oh, the media.
7: Well. Although according I, I, to the president, it's I, one and the same. I, and that's why you can't believe right. us. Well,
6: um, I, you know, I don't have a lot of faith because, uh, you know, we don't live in the era of news divisions as lost leaders like we used to. The news division didn't used to have to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Then that changed. And then it you have to report to the board like everybody else and show your earnings. And in that atmosphere, they are always going to be looking for eyeballs. That's going to be the most important thing is getting people to click, getting people to watch. And in that atmosphere, I, I mean, look at how much they overcovered Hillary's emails in 2016. And what effect did that have on the election? Now, there's a lot of reasons why the Democrats lost and many of them were. Hillary was a terrible candidate. That's absolutely but she true. She
7: didn't help the situation with the emails
6: in terms of how she handled no. it with she her did, answers abs- and her actions. Absolutely. No, Right, and she committed obstruction of justice. If, if now Trump did, I think in, in uh, much worse fashion. But uh, you know, I mean, smashing up your <laughs> your phones and they your had hard a story dress. about it, but it was a bad yeah, option. Yeah, okay, but they overcovered it. They overcovered it. They beat it to death. I mean, even Bernie Sanders had said in one of those early debates, "Enough about Hillary's emails." Um, I don't know, but uh, no, I don't trust the media. If if that's the question, that's my answer. Mm. I don't take it personally. Not you personally. I get it a lot. You, I make
7: a big exception. I, I, I get it a lot. Um, also, it is hard in this environment right yes. now when people want confirmation mm. and echo. I, I can't I, tell you often they say, look, Cuomo, I want to like you, but man, stop going after the Democrats. Maybe they're not giving money to the kids on the
6: border, but you've got to right. stay focused. Welcome to my world because I'm one of the few people out there also who has no team, even though I think I have a team. I'm, I certainly caucus with the Democrats and as long as donald trump is president i am down the line democrat but you go uh, after, after them but i, I think exactly that i go after them right. because they need going after they need some tough love and i'm not going to stop but yes their stuff is raggedy too they have some things they have to answer for and they don't help themselves mm. a lot and i think a lot of this um far left political correctness is a cancer on progressivism i think when you when you talk to, to trump supporters they are not blind to his myriad flaws, but one thing they always say is he's not politically correct. I don't think you can uh, underest- overestimate how much people have been choking on political correctness and hate it. There were two studies about this recently. It was in the New York Times front page story a few months ago. It was also in the Atlantic about a year ago. The vast majority of liberals in this country hate it. They, they think political correctness has gone way too far. No one likes to be living on eggshells.
1: There you go. Well, you know you, you had to go through all of that to hear the part that I wanted you to hear
3: and and he has certainly got that right. It's fraying the nerves of a lot of people to have to worry about any time you say anything, do anything, read anything, comment on anything that oh, how dare you offend me? Well, you know, put on your big boy pants. I get offended every day. People say stuff that offend me every day, and and, and I don't go around looking for them to apologize for it because I don't expect them to. It's, It's ridiculous. Political correctness has been the doom of our country in many ways. But you know, Bernie Sanders said one thing that was right, too, when he talked about uh, about the, the middle way and staying yeah, in the middle, yeah. not if anybody. That made me think about that book we were talking about earlier. Remember the letter to the church at Laodicea? Yeah. said, would that you were hot or that you were cold, but no, you are lukewarm you and out. I spew you hmm. from my mouth.
2: The, the moderation. I'm going to be moderately evil or moderately good. Yeah, maybe okay, you, what what,
3: what does that mean? I think Joe Biden's about to get spewed out, I think's what it means. Well, I, think you, I think it may be, because...
2: <laughs> That's who it was directed at. Exactly well, so. And, and it's, the, the thing is, if you're not principled, nobody likes you. Why well, should they? There's nothing to like or dislike.
1: It's like eating... Have you ever had a bowl of oatmeal that it's not hot and it's not cold, <laughs> but it has lumps in it? Yeah, Oh, (laughs) it's nasty. It's just disgusting. It is. It's disgusting. All right, got to get a break in. Let's do that. When we come back, immigration, going to talk about that. I do have a piece of audio from Bernie Sanders, and he says something in it that I agree with.
3: He's so entertaining in a
1: Marxist kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. Because what is it that Marxism, socialism knows? People like free stuff. Stay tuned. Sanders is coming up. Hey, Dwayne Smith's Insurance Agency, going to love this. They will sit down and take a look at what you're doing with your insurance and compare yours against theirs, see how much better that theirs can be used to, to do for you. If it can't, no harm, no foul. They're an all-state agent. You call them at 501-819-0373, talk to them, set up a time, Come sit down with them at thirty nine twenty East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. Find out what they can do for you for your motorcycle, your boat, your house your uh you know your your life insurance if you insure it, they can talk to you about it. That's the Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. hey the folks over at Applied Research Center of Arkansas are working hard with different programs to uh, get drugs ready. to go out on the market uh you can be a you know, active participant in that regarding these clinical trials. These are just before they go out on the market. They got to make sure the drug does exactly what it says it will do. And they need you to take the drug. If you're, for instance, you got type two diabetes, you're on metformin only, you're between 18 and older. They'd like to talk to you about that. If you have uh, low testosterone, you're between 45 and 80. They'd like to talk to you about that as well. And uh, maybe you've got, you know, some neck and back pain. It's sudden onset uh, back pain due to muscle spasms. If you're between 18 and 65, they'd like to talk to you about that. You get the medicine for free. You get the treatments for free. You even get a a nice stipend for being part of the uh, test. All you have to do is call Applied Research Center of Arkansas for further details regarding the clinical trials you're interested in. Call 501-954-7822. That's 501-954-7822. All right. You guys want to talk about immigration first, or would you like to hear what Bernie Sanders said about Medicare for all?
2: Let's hear Bernie Sanders. You
1: want to hear Bernie Sanders. All right. Cut number one.
6: I'm Bernie Sanders, and we're fighting for Medicare for all. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders is, among other things,
0: consistent. Check out this clip of him from an appearance on the Today Show when
6: he was the newly elected mayor of Burlington in 1981. In our society,
7: theoretically a democratic society, you have a handful of people who control our economy. You have uh, maybe 2% of the population that owns one-third of the entire wealth of America, 80% of the
6: stocks, 90% of the bonds. Talk like that took Sanders to the House of Representatives, then the Senate, and in 2016, nearly to the Democratic nomination for president. We met with Sanders in a small campaign office on Capitol Hill, as the senator took a short break from his day job a few blocks away. This is something the American people want. It's something long overdue. We've got to do it. How old a person does it start with? Everybody. Everybody. I mean, you know, let's be clear. This is not a radical idea. This exists in every other major country on Earth. Healthcare is a human right. And it is somewhat absurd and grossly wrong to my mind. So today we have 34 million people who have no health insurance at all. And then we have another 45 million people who are underinsured with high deductibles, and high co-payments. So we have a system that is wasteful, expensive, and dysfunctional. Medicare today works very well for seniors over a four-year period. We've got to expand that to all of our people.
1: There you go. All right. Why? Because this is something the American people want. Why?
3: Because utopianism.
1: Yeah. Everybody wants to believe you can get something free. Here's the key. When they talk about these polls, what they don't talk about is the deep polling that they do on this issue. When they start talking about, well, this may mean that you have to give up your doctor. You have to go... And your taxes will double. And your taxes will go up. And And the government
3: bureaucrat will decide whether you live or die. And that gets us to the beginning of today's program when that lady talked about we need to also be comfortable with letting go of life at the end. Learning how to
2: die well. Making an unmaking life.
3: Yes, because it will be up to a government bureaucrat will decide when Paul Calvert's life needs to be unmade. They might decide to give me back to God. They might decide that, like that ladies, and they said. might decide at a younger age if they thought right. that you were an impediment to their progress they they towards might. the utopian they, they society. Might. They might decide, you know what, you know what,
5: you know. Paul's kind
2: of a pain in the neck. We're not going to give him a kidney because he, when, when he needs one,
1: when everybody thinks that it's free, <clears throat> all right, everybody's in. But as you, you ask those other questions that come up, if they put this into think, then it goes. And it goes
2: right down the tube. The thing is that we need having something free is especially when it's a a thing like healthcare or some other thing. It 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 causes problems because prices help us to um, allocate resources. Exactly. And so, why is it that it's how capitalism works? Why is it that the, the clip on this pen that I'm holding is not made out of solid gold?
3: It would be an inefficient use of resources. You could get one with a solid gold sure clip if you wanted to pay uh, enough hundreds of dollars yeah, for it, I, I but might. you wanted something to write with, not a prestige right. status And center. so the thing
2: is, though, that one of the reasons why it's not reasonable to make the clip on that pin out of gold is because it might take 20 man hours to obtain that much gold. That's not reasonable for this little dollar pin. Well, and, and, and so the, the, <clears throat> the price helps to determine what the clip on that pin is made out of. The fact is I want a pen that costs about a dollar. I don't want a pen that costs $200. Or $300. Or 300 or whatever it is. And so I'm, I'm fine with a pin that has a, a steel clip on it. Sure. It's coated in, in nickel or whatever that is to keep it from rusting.
3: Well, here's, here's the thing. You've heard me say a couple of times this afternoon, utopianism. This is the root of everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party and what they're trying to do to America. And it's the exact same thing that was wrong with Marx and Lenin, the exact same thing that was wrong with the Communist Revolution. Everything
1: that, that was wrong with Gene Roddenberry. Sad
3: to say. I mean, there, you there know, I, Star I, Trek's a beautiful story, but it's not so, uh, a likely It's not feature. reality. The, no. The, the idea
2: is kind of neat if people were angels.
3: Yeah, and and there you have it, Paul. Thank you again, once again, as usual, with your perspicacity and and your ability to cut through the BS right to it, you get to it. What did you just say? This BS? No, Pers-sc- Pers-sc- what the <laughs> perspicacity. What? His He's got a grasp. He's got a grasp of reality. Okay, thank you. And and, and say that. And, and this, this is the thing with utopianism. You have the idea, and there's a long history of utopianism, and all of socialism arises out of utopianism. It's the idea that mankind can be perfected, and here is the great divide in the world. On one hand. Are the people who believe that... Hold that thought
1: and explain it when we come back. It's time for the news. (laughs) Let's find out what's happening. Hey, listen, I'm I'm just mentioning to uh, Carl and to uh, Paul, on the 24th, be sure that you tune in because one of my young power panel members is coming back to join us and Gosh, that's going back. How many years youth, would that be, Carl? The youth Eight, panel. nine years ago that I did the youth panels all the time. I had Josh Mesker on and yeah, Christian and on. Christian Olsen and yeah. Josh Mesker and, and then uh, Whitney, and Davis. Whitney Davis. Now, Whitney Davis, you know, is now out living life now yeah, she's, and living large because she's <laughs> making good money doing it, and uh, she's going to be here on the 24th, so should it's going to be fun to have her come back. It should be good. I've been, I've been happy to see the people that were... I got a good... A good uh, choice of smart people. (laughs) I mean, Josh Mesker has worked with with a a whole bunch of different candidates Mm -hmm. on their campaigns. He's been a uh, Saline County... uh, JP. JP. Uh, We've got uh, Christian Olson, worked with the governor. Now he's working with another branch of of the Arkansas government and doing good work for them. Just kind of cool seeing people in, in, in Whitney went to U of A, graduated early, I do believe, went to get her master's and went to USC, uh, did it in in fine fashion, and now works for uh, who Texas used? Instruments, yeah, I think. Yeah, better known as, uh, what was it, the company that they had? No, I can't remember. You you, you mentioned it last d- week, yeah, I co- think it was. I it Carl, that, you can and help and, um, me with this. It doesn't exist anymore. It was an old. It, you had to buy a... Uh, a, a, a plug or something, you'd go see these guys. Radio Shack. Radio Shack, oh. there we go. Yeah, she works her. as I like to tell her. Their name were, brand was you were, Tandy. You could build oh,
3: your t- own Tandy crystal was, set yeah, radio it was, yeah,
1: I, and I by a Tandy radio ready uh, to assemble. I like to tell uh-huh. her. That she works for Tandy, <laughs> yeah, she takes exception to it. And I can <laughs> understand funny.
3: that you were saying. Okay, well, forgive me for being so verbose, Dave. But if I could try to get to the point, it, it, we have a, a great, great divide—not uh, just in our country, but in humankind in general—between those who believe that human beings are perfectible by their own bootstraps, and mm-hmm. I don't mean as divine intervention, but people who believe that human beings are capable of perfecting themselves and perfecting their society, and then on the other hand are people that believe that mankind is a fallen creature prone to original sin. And, Our forefathers believed that. Okay, well here, for example, those who believe the former included Karl Marx, uh, Engels, um Uh, various utopians who started the progressive movement in our country to replace elected democratic government with uh, the experts who are going to be in charge and tell us how to live our lives. Did they really believe that or were they just seeking power? Joseph Stalin, Nikita Khrushchev, they thought that, boy, if we could just come up with the right five-year plan, we're going to have an economy that'll beat the socks off the United States. Now, those who believe in the fallen nature of man, yes, include our founding fathers. James Madison said, if men were angels, there'd be no need of government. And James Madison, along with the other founding fathers who helped him, brilliantly designed our Constitution, including the brilliant Electoral College, as ways of taking into consideration the fallen nature of man and our inherent selfishness and our inherent proneness to sin and to evil. And that's taken into consideration. And they put in the checks and balances in our government to make it work in spite of that. Uh, Those who believe... In the fallen nature of man are those same types of people who founded our country and who gave us the great society that we have, where we have freedom, where we have the ability to buy and sell and trade and speak our mind uh, freely among ourselves. Those who believe in the perfectible nature of man, the utopians or the socialists or the communists or the progressives, or the Democrats, whatever you want to call them (laughs) under any name, they think that mankind by his own efforts is going to be able to create an ideal society. And in order to do that, everybody's going to have to get in line and do what they say. There goes your freedom. There goes your capitalism. And uh, there's a brilliant article in uh, this week's National Review that talks about how socialism always causes shortages. So, do it, mm-hmm. ask the people of Venezuela. Sure.
2: So do, they, do they really believe in the perfectible nature of man? Yes. Or, or, or do they? they have to at they're least the pretend ones to. That can Pretending people. may be the better term. Mm-hmm. Is is it maybe they really understand the kind of somewhat corrupt nature of man? Is that they're they're taking advantage mm-hmm. of it? We, we know if we offer this free stuff. People are often covetous they'll take it they don't care about the, the the fact that they're going to have to steal from their neighbors to get it
3: see and and in then, and then these command economies where the government sets the prices, the government controls the trade the government decides what's going to be grown, what's going to be built, what's going to be available there are always shortages. Because there are no market signals to, that to get, that get, you were talking about the, about right. why why the steel instead of the gold a right. uh, pin because that's what people want and they send the market signal by buying right. the ones that are practical and not the right. ones and we did and we help
2: determine that because you know what I don't want to have to work forty seven hours
3: to buy a pen. And, and and if you take out the market incentives. Right, and, and if like the manager of the plant is going to make the same, whether the plant makes a profit or not, right? The only incentive that the manager of the plant has is if he's bribed outside of the system, because the only that thing or, the only thing that he can get that that it, he would get. Other than if he just didn't do his job at at all is if he takes a bribe. And all socialist countries end up being entirely Mm bribe-driven because their utopian plans never, ever, ever work, as Khrushchev found out in the 50s and 60s. We'll bury you! Exactly. And altruism just isn't
2: effective enough to keep things going. Zach thinks I'm crazy. But he <laughs> understand that and
3: was a perfect impersonation that was, that was, of Nikita that was per- Khrushchev. That was perfect timing for what we were just saying, too. because For Zach and our younger viewers, cases what Dave was just doing was pounding the shoe with his table in imitation uh-huh. of Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev. At the UN! Yeah, At the United uh-huh. Nations, he pounded his shoe on the table, and he told the people of the West that we will bury you uh-huh. and what he was talking about was he was talking about because he still believed in communism at yes that he time. did and he was talking about how their five-year plans and their perfected social systems were going to outproduce the west and they were going to bury us and what happened they had one five-year plan after another failed because those utopian plans never ever ever worked it didn't take and the, the market where people decide how much that pen costs Mm -hmm. based on what they're willing to pay for it, that worked. That gave people more pens than they knew what to do with, whereas they couldn't even get toilet paper in the other place. Right, because the fact is that
2: markets drive need.
3: Exactly. They they, they drive
2: supply. And and so, you know, just like sometimes we talk about, you know, in in disaster areas, well, the government doesn't want people to gouge. But you know what? If I need water— and I tell you, you know what, I'm, I'll pay you $3 a piece for water bottles. You know, Every college kid with a Honda is going to pile his car full of water bottles and bring them down to and me. If you say
3: nobody charge more than 50 cents for a bottle of water, nobody will bother to bring you any. Right, and so I'll go thirsty. So, so there is the fallen nature of man looking out for his selfish self, doing the right thing because it benefits him and and the, the system of capitalism works to the benefit of everybody. Right. And so
2: and so if i offer to pay 3 bucks a piece for water bottles, the fact is that some college kid 400 miles away can make 10 bucks an hour driving to me to bring me water bottles. Mm-hmm. And he's not gouging, he's being paid a, a, a relatively Supply low demand. wage. Supply so, and, so demand. That, and then some people closer might make pretty decent money, but when it's far when, for the people far away yeah, it's, it's gouging prices, but at the end of the day, I need it, and I'm willing to pay for it, and it's markets. And it, and it, gets, exactly. and it gets the products in place. <laughs> it gets them sooner. And then the poor guy beside me, my poor neighbor, because of all the people that drove in with water bottles, now my poor neighbor can get them for a quarter apiece.
3: Yeah, and to bring it back to what this conversation started with, to begin with, which was Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All proposition. Yep, and all know, Americans is it, want it. it. Yeah, everybody, everybody should have free stuff. Well, you know, until they get it, it would be so great. <laughs> it would be so great if every American had ice cream and cookies for breakfast every day and never got fat. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, Dave? It would be. But you know, it's not going to happen. And and free health care for everybody, where everybody gets all the health care that they could possibly want, and someone else pays for it, is as likely to happen as us having ice cream and cookies for breakfast every day at someone else's expense. All right,
1: got to take a break. And for you who are watching over on uh, our Facebook, Dave Ellswick Show, or you're listening, and You listen to my great imitation of Nikita Khrushchev, or you got to see (laughs) See it, it. Uh, do some research and go back and, you know, I I bet you go to YouTube and you type in Nikita Khrushchev shoe pounding UN mm-hmm. I bet you you can find you can a, clip a clip of that up. yeah and you'll understand it was exactly very timely, what we were Dave. talking about it uh, was so funny I had taken that my a, shoe that was a off. very timely prop <laughs> I was waiting I was waiting to do it because I, <laughs> look that happened back in the early 60s and I, and I still remember that as an adult mm-hmm. Adley Stevenson was at the
2: UN when that so happened the, the he was our ambassador yes he was
3: two failed attempts to Defeat Eisenhower. The, the arrogance yep.
2: of the idea that you know you're too stupid to run your own lives. If I run your life for you, you will be better off, and the entire society will be better off because you're my slave.
1: Well, here's what I always say: You're going to love uh, when they give you you know medical care free. All right, you're going to just love it until you get it, <laughs> because you're going to find out what was free costs you a whole lot
3: cost you your freedom that's
1: exactly right and that that's something you don't want to give up because once you give it up you'll never get it back all right the acting homeland security secretary whose uh name uh is kevin mcallen was in front of the senate judiciary committee and the chairman lindsey graham had a question for him uh Graham, of course, of Republican of South Carolina, uh, dealing with what's going on on the border. Listen to this give and take.
8: As to asylum claims, we have 900,000 backlog. Is that correct? It's 900,000 cases in immigration courts, over 350,000 asylum cases. Okay,
9: 350,000. 900,000 backlog, 350,000 are asylum claims. Correct. Tell uh, the country what happens when you get here from Central America and you claim asylum. Very briefly, what happens?
8: So as a family unit, as you've already noted, Mr. Chairman, you're going to be released because you can't be held more than 20 days. uh, And we have to have due process and a fair hearing. Uh, For single adults, uh, you'll be held uh, pending determination of whether you have a fear of return. If you meet that bar, and 87% do meet the initial bar of credible fear from Central America, uh, you'll, you'll either be held or bonded out by an immigration judge pending a final uh, adjudication. If you're a child, you'll be transferred to HHS, and you'll go through a process to be placed with a sponsor in the United States.
9: So if you're a asylum seeker from Central America and you claim asylum in the United States, you're not going to get... Sent back to Central America
8: anytime soon, is that correct? Unless you're a single adult, it is very unlikely that you'll be repatriated.
9: What percentage of the people show up for the asylum hearing?
8: So it depends on the demographic, the court, but we do see too many cases where people are not showing up. We did an expedited pilot with family units this year uh, with ICE in the immigration courts. Out of those 7,000 cases, 90 received final orders of removal in absentia, 90%. 90% did not show up? Correct. Okay. That is a recent sample from families crossing the border.
1: All right. 90% didn't show up. So I want you to just think about this. 350,000 cases are waiting to be seen by a judge right now. 900,000 are sitting there. Backlogged. Backlogged. Just take 10% of those two numbers, and that's the number that you'll probably make some kind of adjudication on. The rest of them are not going to show up.
2: Hmm. So what happens when they don't show up? Do they get a warrant out for their
3: arrest? No, or they make the your tacos and mow your lawn.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I, I, it, it just amazes me that people don't think this is a problem. It's a huge problem. It means that uh, 35,000 people it means the border is yeah. completely out of control it's open
3: it's, it's out open. of control just walk on in you know we pay an enormous amount for our military we have the greatest hugest most powerful military in the world
1: now wait a second trump isn't good and in military in, and it's
3: and 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 our military <laughs> is in we heard 165 right. different countries yep but they can't protect our country from invasion
1: Well, part of that's because of... Posse comitatus. Right.
3: But the thing is, posse comitatus says that the military can't be used in our country to do police work. Against
1: its own citizens.
3: But being on the border, preventing people who are not our citizens from coming illegally into our country, isn't posse comitatus. That's protecting the borders. That's like... Practically the only thing the Constitution actually says that the federal government's got to do besides facilitate commerce and deliver the mail. I mean, that's shouldn't
2: that be keeping keeping people from attacking the U.S. Shouldn't that
3: be? Kind of the only role of government for the, the most That, important. that is I mean, the, the number, number one, one thing, thing. But, but, that we have government for is to keep other people out of our business. I mean, but, but,
2: but unfortunately, the, the government is the biggest
3: uh, um, intruder in our business uh, that uh, there r- is. Right. I mean, uh, Sadly. And so— but they turn a bl- they're essentially turning a blind eye let people sneak across the border and then you catch them and say okay, here's a here's a ticket come back you know in 6 months so it seems like to me carl that the reason the federal
1: troops can't do it is because for some reason in our country if you step on american soil suddenly you're treated like an
3: american citizen well see this is our our uh, uh, our immigration Which laws I think is crazy. are horribly, horribly broken. Yeah, The idea that you can sneak across, and then when you get caught, essentially get turned loose into the country, uh, or that all, all that a gang member's got to do is get some minor and drag them along uh, with them, and then it's an automatic pass into the country mm-hmm. for them. Uh, these are things that are not working for the benefit of the American people. They're not logical. They're not rational. They're not even sane. Well, so, so if they're going to use the the court system. I think
2: that's that maybe kind of highlights one of our big problems in this country is we have a court system that's so incredibly slow that they can't fix problems in a timely manner. That's, Therefore, they
3: turn people loose, and and we have made the courts the total arbiters over every yep. aspect of our society. Well, and another, and, then, and they're doing a damn mm-hmm. poor job. of it. And that's
2: it. another problem. And that, I, from what I understand, they're teaching this garbage in law school. So they they the the, the judges apparently literally believe that they're lawmakers. And so they end up being essentially the supreme lawmakers won't of the They will say land. it that way. They will yes. say it too. They will. Mm. From what I've talked to well, at least one college – one one law professor, they they literally believe they're, they're well, lawmakers. That's one out of count. Right. <laughs> no, and, and it's – Get it's, Robert Stein back uh, Yeah, back I bring Robert in here. But the guy thing is, spoke. though, they, they, when they, when they <laughs> refer to case law as law – these judges literally believe they are making law they don't
3: even and and, and witness the democrats extreme concern in judicial appointments over starry decisis they don't want any judges put in that will come and upset the that's regime right. of judicial lawmaking that's been previously done
1: and that's amongst even the conservative judges on the supreme mm-hmm. court most of the liberals definitely fall that way I mean we've heard Ginsburg here just recently say that but uh, we've also heard the same uh,
2: from uh, Roberts yeah and I
5: think that yeah that's, well,
2: that's part of the problem with some of the even the so-called conservative <coughs> judges they still believe in the stare decisis idea that you know the courts need to to Keep respect precedent. Stab-
1: okay, stop right here. Stare decisis. Stare. Explain for the listeners That's what you all Stare
3: decisis is a, a, a Latin phrase that the essential meaning of it is that the court should respect previous decisions. So when you saw the Kavanaugh hearings and the Democrats were hammering and hammering on them about stare decisis, they were saying, will you not overturn Roe versus Wade? No matter how bad a law it was, no matter how bad a decision it was, stare decisis means – it is what it is, and we don't dare change other it. Words, You've got to respect previous decisions. In
2: other words, is tradition more important than principle?
3: Exactly.
2: And you know, we
1: would never, uh, if if we believed that, that if some court decided in a certain way about a law that you couldn't touch it,
3: we still have Dred Scott. Yeah,
1: I mean, seriously.
3: Yeah, and story decisis is not a, a hard and fast. It means that you've got to respect previous. Decisions, yeah. but you don't overturn them lightly. But then, if a case comes along that presents facts that can lead the judges to accept that the situation was wrongly decided before, they can overturn it. And it's and it's it, it stare decisis is toothless as it can be. It's whatever the judges on the bench at the time decide is what the right. it's the it decision is written in is. stone. Right. It is not, but yeah. it, it's written in stone until the next time a majority of the court That's writes correct. something different. In right, stone. and so
2: it, it's a it's a solid Soft tradition yeah there's no there's no basis of it in the constitution no, but, none but, so but i will not say that it is a soft tradition it's anymore. a hard tradition
3: now
1: it's, it's cement yeah it is a hard, hard tra- problem. But, you're, but
3: you're right there is absolutely no constitutional basis for Sorry, uh, well, stare decisis and that's been a lie you can't overturn. the left
2: it, it, right yeah. and it's
3: it's
1: because they don't want their decisions to be yeah, many, to ma-
3: you know and if you were for abortion There are plenty of opportunities for abortion to become more common, more safe, more legal, less rare, because it was in the process. I think – I think over half the states had legalized abortion in some form or another at the time that they decided Roe versus mm-hmm. Wade. So it, it, the country was moving towards allowing legal abortion, and that was going to keep on uh, in that direction, <laughs> whether they had Roe versus Wade or not. And if, and if the abortion laws were decided by the elected representatives of the people instead of by the nine robed clowns, it would have <laughs> been a lot more accepted to the American people.
1: All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, a Colorado Christian cake shop has been sued a third time for discrimination. I'll wow. give you the whole story about it when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Yes. Here we go. Back with favorite Buscemi <clears throat> is the one where he plays the guy that they find the guy that's in the in the casino who's hot, and they put, put the cooler on him. He was the cooler. Remember that?
3: Uh, which movie was that, then? It's
1: called The Cooler.
3: Oh no! I didn't see that. No, you got to see it. It's I did great. see him in, uh, of course, the big Lebowski oh, yeah. was great in, and, All and in Armageddon. Movies. But uh, I, I recently rented a, one that really made me, and it's not a funny song. Makes you laugh, but but it was, but it was funny. It was called The Death of Stalin. Yes, and it it's was a about, funny movie. Yeah, have you seen it? Yes. And Steve Buscemi plays Khrushchev. Yeah. it's hard to imagine playing Khrushchev for laughs, but he really <laughs> does. <it. laughs> It's kind of like watching the new version
1: of Godzilla, which was a great movie, okay? I loved the movie, but they've got eco-terrorists in this, and when the eco-terrorists start speaking, they make them sound so stupid that what they're saying is so ridiculous, although the real ones say it all the time now, in real life, that you laugh at it, you know? We have to destroy the world with all the monsters because man is the disease. <laughs> now we've heard that—that's been out there. But when they do it in the movie, it's—they it, just kind of do it in a tongue-in-cheek way. That's hilarious. I loved every moment of it. They gave them their due, and I loved it. Really did. It's not atomic energy this time, man. It's—it's it's, man. We're—we're we're the disease.
3: It's not the, it was the, the plastic oceans in the island that oh, are forming into Godzilla. Oh, by the way, did you
1: see the five nations that do more of the polluting of plastics than any other one? We're not one of them. China. Uh-huh. Indonesia. Mm-hmm. India. Uh-huh. India. And there was uh, two other over in the Pacific Rim. Hmm. I think Vietnam was they're, one other Yep, Vietnam was uh-huh. the other ones. It couldn't get us there, so they're trying to get us on the homeland now. Wow. They're trying to take our straws away. I saw... I saw in Canada that starting next year, no plastic straws, no plastic forks and knives, and all, and no plastic fla- or, uh, plates or anything. Well, Getting rid of all
2: of them. Well, what, what is the Canada's deal? doing away with all? Of so yeah. they're going to so start cutting on down those trees do again. So, so what is the deal about plastic? I mean, it's pretty inert. I mean, what, is the, what do they think it hurts? A turtle might try to
1: snort something and get it stuck in its nose. Okay. That's tr- that's what started all wow. this. It was a picture of a turtle over somewhere in
3: Indonesia with a straw up, its, a nose? Straw
1: up its nose. I say we treat them for the drug habit, but that <laughs> definitely shows that they have. It's a uh, tortoise. So,
2: so, so it, but, but how is that any different than than them having the possibility of snorting sand up their nose. There's others are, are a piece of coral. I mean, but really, though, I mean, plastic generally is is pretty stinking inert. You, you and know I can that the stuff, that they went just to just passes right through for the most part. Do you
1: part. know the reason they went to plastic? Do you remember this? Well, you may not. To you save the been, trees. To save, to save the, the trees. trees back in the 70s. I'm
3: just mm-hmm. telling you. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, not to belittle Paul's point, but I, I really do think that plastics in the ocean is a problem, and it's a serious problem that needs to be taken seriously. But the thing is, it's not us that's doing it. That's and, right. And, and once again, it's, oh, there's a huge horrible with plastic in the ocean. We must make the United States do something different. Well, you know, we're not the problem, and it's a provable mm-hmm. fact that more democratic and free societies pollute less socialist and command authority uh, societies pollute more. Uh, that's one reason why Eastern Europe was such a mess when those people got their freedom because under the Soviet bloc they, they, had, they had, had horrible, life. horrible pollution. And, and, and uh, what went on at Chernobyl, that was a power plant that never could have been built in the United nope. States because it was built to such low safety standards compared well, to anything that would have been built, not just in the United States, but France or Japan or any other democratic country.
2: And I think sometimes Republicans have a ten- conservatives in general, have a tendency to to blow off the idea of pollution being a problem because the fact is pollution is concentration of of, um, uh, of stuff, whether it be dirt or maybe it's some sort of toxin. But the problem is it's when it's concentrated, it becomes a problem. You know, um, if a deer poops in my backyard, it don't matter. But if 400, 400 of them poop in my driveway, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the thing is, so pollution is a concentration of stuff where it doesn't need to be. Yeah. And, and, and it's a reality, though. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. Yeah, having, that, cle- that, having clean and air it, and clean water is – it is, it, is
3: it, a, it, importance is, can't be overstated. It, it, is,
2: it is a true issue of rights, of human rights, if you will. <clears throat> and so I, I think we need to, to take it seriously. But at the end of the Absolutely. day, one of the problems with the left is that they, they go overboard and they don't care about human rights to fix the problem. And so you can fix the problem while respecting human rights or, or – Individual rights, if you want to call it that mm-hmm. instead, and and so what happens is you look at well pollution is a problem, therefore we, we must take away everyone's rights. Well, why don't we just st- make, make people, people stop polluting? Right, right and so why don't we fix the pollution problem and keep, allow people to keep their rights? Unfortunately, what we have is we have the left saying, well, you should have to give up your rights and the right and the right is saying no pollution is okay in some in, in, in too many cases, I think and they're both wrong. And they need to. You need to respect human rights on the, or individual rights from the perspective. You know, you cannot pollute your neighbor's property. That's wrong. Yeah. It's, I, it's it's about his rights. I remember well
3: uh, when I was a young man in the 70s and how bad the pollution was. Ohio seemed almost unlivable Mm. to me because the air quality was so poor there. And uh, when I first started in the property and casualty insurance business in Cincinnati in the late 70s, I don't know if you've you've probably seen pictures of Cincinnati if you're watching a Reds ball game or something, And all these big skyscrapers in downtown. My office was right on the edge of downtown and I couldn't see those skyscrapers on any 80-degree day, I couldn't see those skyscrapers until I got to my office because the haze in the mm-hmm. air was so bad that you couldn't see the skyscrapers through the haze wow. while you were coming down I-75 from the northern burb I lived in to downtown. Well, you know, that's not true anymore. Our, our level of pollution is so much less than it was in the 70s. We've totally made, different. We've made mm-hmm. great progress. That doesn't mean we should rest on our laurels or couldn't shouldn't keep mm-hmm. trying, but We've made great progress. No communist country has ever made progress on pollution. They've only gotten worse and worse and worse until they've been unlivable. Lake, Lake mess.
1: Erie is still alive now. Yeah. And then you go up to where I grew up at, up on the, the edge of Lake Michigan, outside of Chicago, where you had four steel mills. And you had acid rain.
3: You'd mentioned Bill Murray earlier during yes, the be- like break. It. Do you remember the early Saturday Night Live fake commercial with Bill Murray uh, having? He had a bottle of Lake Erie water, yes. and, and they played the the anticipation, the Carly Simon song <laughs> that they used to play for that was it Heinz fifty seven yes. ke- some ketchup that bragged ketchup. about how slow Heinz, they poured ketchup. because they were so so Thick. high quality ketchup, uh, and this guy's pouring he's pouring his Lake Erie <laughs> water out over a glass of ice. and Uh, and it's coming out real slow and there's like a there's like (laughs) Like, a beer uh, metal beer top (laughs) and it comes plopping out on the Uh, ice and yeah, it was solid you recall, all you stuff. you
1: weren't alive during the time, but Lake Erie caught on fire. Yeah, it was, it was uh, so the Cuyahoga River, yeah, ro- well, fire, which goes into Lake Erie in it Cleveland. Cuyahoga River,
3: for those who don't know, Cuyahoga River goes right through the middle of Cleveland and empties into. The man, and, and used
1: to stink. And, and, and wow. yes,
3: and and it did <laughs> actually catch fire. Randy Newman did a great song in the '70s about called uh, "Burn on Big River." Wow, uh, the Cuyahoga River keeps burning through my. Dreams.
1: All right, I got to play this because I told everybody we're going to talk about this Colorado Christian cake shop owner. Yeah, so one. let's do that. It's four We'll have to get right to a break <coughs> after you hear this. This is uh, Todd Starnes. You had him on uh, for an interview, and I want you to hear it.
10: Major victory to tell you about in a high profile religious liberty case. The Colorado Civil Rights Commission ended its ongoing war with Jack Phillips, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop. The decision came after Alliance Defending Freedom discovered evidence showing the commission's hostility towards religion. Well, here to discuss this very important case is Jack Phillips and the attorney who argued his case before the Supreme Court Christian Wagner. Welcome to you both. So, Kristen, I want to start with you, because when the the headlines came out yesterday, a lot of folks were saying, well, wait a second, we we thought this guy won at the Supreme Court. What's going on here?
11: Well, he absolutely did win at the Supreme Court. But what happened was on the day the Supreme Court agreed to hear Jack's case, a transgender lawyer set up Jack um, to have another complaint against him, requesting a cake that would celebrate a gender, gender transition, blue on the outside, pink on the inside of the cake. Jack politely declined. Uh, A little bit later, the lawyer called again and asked for a cake celebrating Satan's birthday. Again, Jack said, I'll sell you other cakes, Uh, but, but I simply make my decisions based on the message of the cake. And 24 days after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Jack's favor, the same commission that the U.S. Supreme Court rebuked for its hostility towards Jack came after him again, with this new complaint,
10: Jack, this must have been a roller coaster for you. I mean, you come off that Supreme Court high, and then all of a sudden, this.
9: Yeah, the, the Supreme Court was an amazing thing to get there, to be there, and see how that happened, and then to get our great decision, seven to two in our favor. You know, you think this is really good. We win. We can go on with life. and less than three weeks later, we get sued again for this new this new suit um, where. Um, even though I serve everybody who comes into my shop and always have for 25 years. It's just the message of the cake that I may not be able to create. This cake is one of those that was uh, pink on the inside and blue on the outside, signifying a change in gender from male to female. And while we told this uh, customer that that's not a cake that we could create, we could do other cakes and be glad to serve them, Uh, that just didn't work out. And the Civil Rights Commission sued us again.
10: Kristen, clearly uh, Jack here was targeted.
11: <laughs> well, there's no doubt about it. Um, absolutely. And so, what we did in response was rather than allow those commissioners to again draw Jack into six years of litigation and picketing and death threats and those kinds of things, we took the case into federal court and we asked the federal court to decide. We wanted a fair hearing, and that paid off in spades.
10: Now, let's talk about that because there was discovery, and you guys discovered some very interesting nuggets about the the Civil Rights Commission there in Colorado to find out.
11: We did. The deeper that we dug, the more we found of just incredible hostility and anti-religious bias by this commission. Uh, A sitting commission member said that there was anti-religious bias on the commission, and if you recall, in the Supreme Court's decision, they talked about how a sitting commissioner had compared Jack's faith to perpetrators of the Holocaust and said it was despicable rhetoric to use religious freedom um, as a basis for any decision. And actually, the sitting commission members this time around not only said they disagreed with the Supreme Court's decision, but they embraced those previous statements that were so overtly hostile to Jack and even said they should be more outspoken and more transparent about this anti-religious hostility they have.
10: And Jack, one of the interesting things about your case, here you are, you're living the American dream, you have your own business, you weren't going out there looking for a fight, but honestly the fight came to your doorstep and you had a decision to make as a Christian.
9: Yeah, um, and I made my decision as a Christian and as an American because there are certain messages that I won't promote and won't create with my cakes, and among them would be anti-American cakes or cakes that demean or uh, belittle people, even people who identify as LGBT. It's always the message of the cake that uh, I form my judgment on and not the person that's asking me for it. Kristen, what's the bigger story here
10: nationally? What's the takeaway? Because there are a lot of other people just like Jack Phillips out there.
11: Well, I think the big takeaway is that our constitutional rights should not shift just because political winds do. And that no matter what side of the debate you're on on these issues that are really important to who we are and how we build our families, no matter what side you're on, you should support the right to not be forced to express messages or participate in ceremonies that violate your convictions.
10: Um, All right. So where do we go from here? Because uh, my my big question would be, wait a second, if they've done this once, what's to what's to stop somebody from going and targeting Jack again?
11: Well, someone can, anyone can file a lawsuit. You know that, Todd. But there's no legal basis for them to pursue these kinds of claims again, and we will fight it in every step. I think that the cases we will see go up to the Supreme Court are those that are already pending. Alliance Defending Freedom represents filmmakers, painters, and graphic designers who are actually facing jail time. If they decline to express messages that violate their convictions.
10: And and the challenge is in a lot of these cases, the mainstream media, they really portray your clients in a very negative light when in fact these are good, decent folks that you probably go to church with or your next door neighbors.
11: Well, yes, and they hire people from all walks of life, they serve people from all walks of life. All of us want to draw lines based on our convictions.
10: So Jack, you're going back to making cakes now.
9: Yeah, we've been open all the while. Uh, the Civil Rights Commission took away my wedding cake business, and so I have to see where all that goes. But yeah, we're looking forward to putting the last seven years behind us and getting on with life.
10: Family-owned business, so you, yeah. you work with your family and bake yeah. cakes, and they look great. I was on the website. They oh, look thank very you. delicious. Thank you. Better, probably the most important question, have you, Kristen, had one of Jack's cakes?
11: I have had too many of Jack's <laughs> <laughs>
10: They're delicious. They are great. Yeah. All right, well, uh, Jack, congratulations. Christian. You. you guys are just doing a great work at Alliance Defending Freedom. And uh, God bless your efforts. Well, thank, thank
1: you.
5: you.
10: All right. All right, back with you. Don't forget about
1: Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Yes, you can be like me. You can go green because it saves you green. What I've always said about recycling. I'd use it when it saved me money, and Sonny's has done that. I've had one of their uh, total loss vehicles, uh, an engine from it, uh, taken out of uh, that vehicle and put in my vehicle. It runs absolutely without a problem. Then I did the same thing with a, a transmission. It runs perfect without a problem, and they both have guarantees, and they have standard warranties on them. In fact, They all have, both those parts, have three-year warranties on them as far as the parts and the labor is concerned, so I don't have to worry about anything now. something goes wrong, they'll fix it, no charge to me. It all happens over at Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. And here's what I say. Why take on a new car payment? Why pay more money for an OEM part when you can get... Uh, recycled auto part from a total lost vehicle call 982-7451 982-7451 and save yourself some money right now all right i got three minutes guys here to the bottom of the hour for the news and i want to give you the opportunity who wants to go first here okay paul wants to go first
2: about uh going on with religious freedom so this this is one of those things where i think our courts have failed us to to a great degree And, and you know if I go ahead, if I come out and I sue um, Carl Kimball here and say that you know he, he owes me a million dollars because he didn't um, uh, support my um, some perversion that I have that he disapproves of for religious reasons or otherwise, if, if I come up and I and I falsely claim that he owes me that money, there's no reason in the world for him to owe me that money. He didn't owe me anything. But I I sue him anyway, and I, I falsely accuse him of owing that money to me. I think the courts should actually make me pay him what I tried to steal from him with the court system.
3: Sounds like a just way to and, and so, if you don't punish the people that are bringing these cases – Why won't they keep and, doing and, it? And, and we can see what's happening. This poor guy has already gone to the Supreme Court and won, and yet they're back attacking him with the exact same kind of stuff. Maybe a little difference, but they're attacking him with the same kind of stuff. Th- those people should have been punished right, and, and then, put in the financial ground and so that, for what so, they did so I, I, I do
2: think people should be punished – for being mistaken about something, or maybe not having enough evidence, but but, but, but for intentionally trying to when, destroy your right, business or ruin in, your life, when they're intentionally trying to take something from you that they're, that they're not entitled to, and it's obvious that they're not entitled to it, the fact is that no one has a right to force you to help them celebrate anything, for that matter. Talk about
3: gestational labor. Yeah. <laughs> That's a callback. That's
2: yeah. very. I good. mean, fr- from earlier, the the idea, but but the idea of you having to force, being forced to help someone celebrate some perverse activity that they're engaged in, even if it's a good activity, you shouldn't have to be forced to help them provide your services to help them celebrate th- their their
3: latest sexual. Fantasies. Amen to that, Paul. And how hard do you think it would have been for that guy to have found a gay florist or a gay baker or somebody who would be just delighted, maybe not even gay, but delighted to do a job bake for his own under those same cake. circumstances? He can yeah. bake his own blasted
2: cake. Mm-hmm. Anyway,
1: thank you very much, guys. When we come back, a 21st century approach to infrastructure needs. Next, on to Dave Ellswick's Show. Going to what... Uh, Paul was talking about about the court turning down a case. The Supreme Court did that just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court rejected a case that said we should remove In God We Trust from the currency. Wouldn't even hear it. Let mm-hmm. it let the lower courts uh, stand. God. And the stand was that In God We Trust stays. Mm-hmm. But that's a again a, yeah. an example. Another example. Supreme of course, Court probably you. more than anyone. Uh, you know, sometimes I wonder why they don't hear certain mm-hmm. cases, but that's one that they didn't hear. All right, this is from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. This is a group that I highly recommend that you go to and read their articles. They're really good. Uh, They wrote a report. Congress needs a 21st century approach to infrastructure needs. Uh, This is from Mark Scribner. He is the CEI senior fellow and author at uh, the CEI. I am going to try to get him on next Tuesday to talk about this because it makes so much sense. It says raising the federal fuel tax won't adequately and fairly pay for future roadway infrastructure needs. Our interstate highway system is crucial to promoting commerce and Americans' quality of life, and lawmakers must be uh, must decide how to direct $1 trillion in needed rehabilitation and enhancement of that system over 20 years. With rising vehicle fuel economy and declining fuel tax revenue per mile traveled, a new approach is needed to support roadway investments. And he's got one, two, three, four, five things here.
3: Well, you just can't win for losing. They say we're using too much gas, so we start saving gas. Then they say, gosh, you're not paying enough Enough gas taxes. That's right.
1: That's exactly right. All right. Can't win. Here's what he says. Congress should eliminate barriers to state, local, and private investment, reevaluate what transportation infrastructure uh, projects truly merit federal support, and transition away from per-gallon taxation toward per-mile road usage fees. Reconsider federal priorities. Continue funding highway freight corridors, major roadways used by heavy trucks, but stop funding roadways that are used mostly by state and local residents not engaged in any kind of interstate commerce.
3: Oh, no, i got to start paying a toll on the Fanny Fox Freeway. Change
1: how roadways are funded. Instead of a federal fuel tax, switch to a system of mileage-based user fees whereby users are directly charged based on the distances and perhaps even the weight of the vehicle they drive. That's number two. Number three, promote local self-help. Give states increased procurement and operating flexibility by eliminating federal restrictions on tolling state-owned interstate highway system segments. Number four, harness private investment. Empower states and localities to seek private partners by eliminating the $15 billion lifetime volume cap on private activity bonds used in surface transportation and then finally remove the red tape take a hard look at procurement labor and environmental rules and eliminate the policies that drive up costs and create delays for no or trivial public benefit
3: that sounds pretty good dave maybe we should do a massive study you know, and find out if it's feasible
2: <laughs> so so
10: I,
3: part part of Part of that kind of concerns
2: me to some to some extent. So part of what they're talking about there's per mile per mile usage. One of the problems with that is I, I I think what will tend to happen is they will want to put some sort of a GPS tracker on your car to track your mileage. Already got them. they have already. A there. lot of them do, but government isn't officially allowed to to watch those yet. I don't think. No, not yet. Uh, not officially. I'm sure they still. I'm sure they do in some cases, but I, I, they're not allowed to officially watch us. I don't think. Um, yeah. Yet. War is um, peace. But um, – <laughs> and so – I love that. Uh, but I think, I think maybe one option would be that you, you give you give people the option of you either pay a fuel tax, which might have to be a little higher than what it is right now. Who knows? Or – Who knows? Could, of course it would be higher. Well, come come on.
3: on. And all and, those filthy Prius drivers and, and, would be and, skipping and, out on it. And,
2: yeah. the, and the other – or the other option would be that you take one of these GPS government trackers – and And you then get charged by the mile, or maybe even charged by the mile based on the time of the day that you've drive because you know at two o'clock in the morning there's no traffic and you're not really clogging up the interstate system.n't it matter you're using the interstate you are, but the thing is though that if they can if they can incentivize people to use the roads that are in off peak hours then their roads can actually get more usage on a, i on I've a, been
1: attacked here on this show <sighs> by our listeners because no. I had the audacity to say. Well, let's pay. Let's let's build that north part of four hundred and forty. Okay, let's build that, and I'll pay a toll to drive on it. Sure. And you would have thought that I had would have uh, that I had said that Jesus and Satan were brothers.
3: Mm. Well, you know, Dave, uh, the day is coming. Of course, one reason people hate toll roads—they have to stop and those little booths and throw Not in the anymore, change. You know, Not anymore. No, no, with the Easy Pass, yeah, they got a, the the Oklahomans are all and the Tennesseans are all well broken into the Beep. Easy Pass. That's how um, you hear. Beep. <laughs> As the New Yorkers are, too. And and, and the time will come when there will be a transponder in our car that will keep track of the amount of mileage that w- we drive and report that via satellite link up to the government. And the government will either send us a bill monthly for our tax based on the amount of mileage mm-hmm. we've driven, mm-hmm. or maybe better yet, just deduct it from our paycheck directly to the government. Don't let them do that. Pay it.
2: And and they'll go ahead and, and they'll go ahead that, and find, do find you. every time you yeah. go two miles an hour over the speed limit. Yeah, and, and
3: every time you <laughs> get over the speed limit, then there's that's going to be an extra charge on on your. But uh, they
1: only charge that for your own personal safety. Oh, yes, of, of, right, course. of course.
3: We we know what <laughs> we know what's best for you, Dave.
1: But anyway, I'm going to get Schreiber on to talk about this. He brings up some interesting points, and it make for a very interesting discussion.
3: But don't you think the those Tesla people ought to be paying for our infrastructure, well, yeah, too? The, well, yeah. You know, all these guys driving the electric cars, you know, they're getting a free ride. Yeah. Well, so, so We're well, paying all the road taxes, and they're getting to drive on them for, <laughs> no, for nothing.
1: My favorite part of this is point number five. Okay, Take a hard look at procurement, labor, and environmental rules and eliminate the policies that drive up the costs and the create the delays for no or trivial public benefit, like... We don't have to use so many union members. I made the quip Mm -hmm.
3: earlier today about the Fanny Fox Freeway. That's what my uncle's called the Wilbur D Mills Expressway. That's what it is. My uncle's called it the Fanny Fox Freeway in honor of his uh, jumping in the. Tidal Basin of the Potomac mm. to try and get away from uh, being caught with a famous prostitute back in the where day. Did he, where did he pass out? Was it on the Capitol steps or on no, Lincoln Memorial? He passed Memorial? out several places probably, but he was he was in a he was in a car with a prostitute that yeah. got stopped on a bridge at the story. Tidal Basin and, and jumped in. That was the beginning of the mm-hmm. end of his career. But yeah. but you know when that was built and that and that. Uh, is is a pretty key artery for the people of Little Rock connecting Mm -hmm. Interstate 430 and Interstate 30 right smack through the middle of town, much like the Norwood Lateral in Cincinnati and other comparable. But uh, you know that's
1: not why it was built. It was built to separate the white folk from the black folk.
3: Well, you know, some people may have thought that was the way that it it was. I it may have worked out that way in some degree. I think it's much less so today. But it, but, it was, it, but it was held up. I remember when I moved back to my hometown of Little Rock in 1980, that freeway went from 430 all the way to almost to downtown. And all of a sudden, it just came to an end, and it ended up in two one-way streets that had double <laughs> Ninety degree turns that <laughs> veered you off onto onto surface streets at um, and it took forever to finish the last part of that freeway and it was because of our good old buddies at Acorn which was back then yep. the Arkansas community organizations mm-hmm. and where did it start now.
1: where did it start There's a college. Little Rock
3: Arkansas
1: yeah but there's a college. Right there on um, 630.
3: Uh, you're talking about Philander Smith? That's exactly mm-hmm. where it started. Yeah. At. And, and uh, again, that was the area that was the last part of the freeway that was finished, too. But that was held up. They used environmental reasons. They they used lawsuits, the alleged they racism. They used the courts. They used, yeah, they used the courts in order to have the thing held up for literally decades mm-hmm. uh, before they could finish the last part of that freeway because of ACORN and, and related groups uh, using uh, supposed environmental protection rules and so was forth. Was Walker so. part of that? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I'd be awful surprised he if he was not. <laughs>
1: I'm just saying, he had to be involved somewhere.
3: he just about have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you no. Know, I think but, the, I think
2: the red tape issue is a pretty significant problem, and the, just the like you mentioned, the union labor type things where they're artificially increasing the cost. What's the uh, what? What is the beyond is market ta- wages? Is that
1: Taft Hartley? Is it is that Taft Hartley?
3: Taft Hartley was a uh labor law that was passed during uh republic the republicans had control of congress for two years between between 1931 and 1995 the republicans controlled uh, all of congress i think for uh only two years that they had both houses and that was during the last half of harry truman's first term and that was when they passed taft hartley it was a rare chance where the republicans were in and they passed that and it was uh, to restrict the power of unions. I couldn't give you a very good dissertation on, on the whole meaning of Taft. But I Hardly. think that that's know the Democrats what they're, they're talking
1: it. about. They're talking about that in in this particular yeah. piece here. Yeah. So we'll have to do that. And harvesting private investment, that's always good. Why not build a toll road and let another company build it and Our set li- the toll? Or let them put advertising
2: all over the thing.
1: They're going crazy. Look, they're going crazy. They went nuts up in Indiana when they sold the Indiana Toll Road uh, to a company uh, from over in the Saudi Arabia or somebody like that. And they took it over and they keep it up and they charge the toll and all of that. And people, were, well, that was made by Americans. Well, yeah, it was. and It was paid and taken care of. And now the state got several billion dollars by selling it. So what?
2: I don't know. Hey, if we can transition transition to privately funded roads, why not do it? I would agree. I mean, you know, especially when they're kind of extra arteries, if you will, because, because, you know, on some level, there's kind of an interesting issue with, with the right to travel. And so if they're privately funded, if you privately fund... My, my the road into my house, and they tell me, you know, you have to jump through all these different hoops if you want to use it. And I, you know, I have a right to use that road because wait, what where in the Constitution does say you
1: have a right to travel?
3: There the There isn't. At the Libertarian yeah. Party, you know that. And so it's yeah. kind yeah. of a theory. But, but uh, the, promoting interstate commerce is a legitimate function yes, of the is. federal government, and commerce is all but impossible without decent roads. So I Eisenhower. Think, I think and that. Yeah, I, I think I think that you can make a legitimate case for public-owned, public-funded roads as being, and, and and that doesn't mean you can't have private roads. I, I think I would make but it, but I, I think there's a legitimate case to be made for the value of having publicly-owned, publicly-funded roads. The thing is that we're that we're not prioritizing taking care of. We built a lot of them, but we've done just a a. Piss poor. I was I was going to say urine poor, but I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I didn't
2: want so, to. So uh, I would the, the I would use a p
1: word. You I would say a. A pee
2: poor.
3: I would. have pro- said worse on <laughs> show <sure>, before.
2: <I'm laughs> I would afraid. probably argue that it's more of a, a more legitimate function of government if it's done for defense purposes because I think there is a well, legitimate. That, def- that was
3: the excuse that Eisenhower used for building the interstates. And, and that was military. at a time when, when, for all we knew, we'd be facing war again, and uh, we had enemies that's that's abroad. That's why there's in the so war. many
1: so and, many miles of straight road on yeah, the interstate. Yeah, and, and, and right. so the whole so
3: purpose th- of the interstates was to move troops that's from right. one part of the country and, and so to guess, the other, and then the civilians got to use.
2: Trevor
3: a first, bonus Hitler? They yeah, learned the, learned autobahn. Hitler. yeah foreign, the autobahn. yeah, the right. autobahn. Far and off their autobahn.
2: so I think there's a there's a there's maybe a more legitimate function for government and free society to to build roads based on on the defense mm-hmm. side of things. Whereas I, I don't really want the government to try to to enhance commerce, if you will, through policy or yeah. or, or road building. That's a, that's, a,
1: that's a discussion for another day. Yeah we got to take a break. Ain't it
3: weird when there's someone more libertarian than you? <laughs> and
1: you're going to be gone. You're going to be gone next week. Yeah. I, I, I,
3: I shouldn't have said
1: that. But anyway, <laughs> just know that you won't be able to take part in this yeah, discussion. I guess so. I'm going to miss yep. All right. We got more coming your way. Let's finish it up this hour. Bible guys are here. They're over in a back room plotting of how to make my life miserable, I'm sure. <laughs> We've got more coming your way in a moment here on Dave Elswick' show. <laughs>
5: yeah.
1: All right, back with, <laughs> back with you. Back with you. I was just telling uh telling uh, Carl that I was reading a new book uh, about the Hittites. And no, that's not a musical group. All right, <laughs> it, it was back about 1300 BC and it's pretty interesting <laughs> reading about it and you were mentioning about they were the the first real first uh, civilization under the, the Iron, Iron Age. Age and of course everybody else had bronze Weapons, and so when they went against the Hittites, they you take a bronze weapon and hit it against an iron weapon, the bronze weapon goes it kind of just bends right around. It's quite a a difference, Uh, yeah, yeah, dulls it really bad. Iron iron, is is
2: quite an advancement over,
1: so it was pretty, it's been pretty cool. It's interesting reading, it's getting through the names that is always (laughs) a a challenge for me, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they they, and then you have people where you get a, a run where you had. Like 2, common one, two, three, four, and you had to figure out who they're talking about during the, these different ages, kind of interesting.
3: Also, sometimes they used a uh ceremonial title that was for the heir to the throne. Kinda like, yeah, in, Pharaoh. like kinda like kinda like they have the uh uh Prince of Wales as the successor to the king or queen of England, Or England. Caesar. Yeah, well, and, and during during the Diocletian dispensation uh, of the Roman Empire, the Caesar was a junior to the Augustus. Right. And the Augustus became the Caesar, or rather, the other way around, the Caesar was the junior emperor, and the Augustus was the senior emperor. And so theoretically, you were propo- promoted. But that's not trying to lose you down. in the weeds here. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, a you, if, yeah, it's
1: a history lesson. Yeah, it's a history lesson. And it's important to know history. But you, you know, know?
3: Like, like Moses, thought Moses, was the equivalent of the Prince of Wales under the Ramses. So uh, it's possible that Moses himself, hey, may have been the heir to the throne, may have been the number two guy in the entire country. And uh, it's very confusing trying to study that period because he had all these different Thutmoses, and sometimes the Thutmose <laughs> becomes the Ramses. I could see where you could he you
1: change that work, word around a little bit and probably get to the uh, – anyway. Um, anyway. Looking at the, uh, I thought this infrastructure story was interesting, and Indeed. I wanted to bring it to you because it has a, you know, I mean, look, I'm I'm not all, you know, changing the road rates and the way they're funded. Instead of a federal fuel tax, switch to a system of mileage-based user fees, whereby users are directly charged based on the distances and perhaps weight of the vehicle they drive there's a lot of slap room there to talk about and you know paul brought it up and that's you know although i don't think it even exists anymore is privacy Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as privacy anymore
3: yeah i'm afraid the barn door is open and that horse is all done bolted
1: yeah and he's all lathered up too he's Mm -hmm. been running full on i just don't think
2: that you can't get that one back in the barn again it's done it's hard but but I think generally we should have the right to be able to travel and be anonymous if we so choose.
3: Well, you can walk. Walk.
1: That's. I'm sorry. Ride a and horse leave,
3: and leave your cell phone at home.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. ride a horse or uh, ride a bike or mm-hmm. whatever. That's that's the way to go off the grid. Throw away your phone. Mm-hmm. Stop so it in, in the some ground. Places, don't pull they off even the chip.
2: Don't they even make you have license licensed bikes in some places. Well, yeah. I think that's the way to go if you want to build a
1: bike trail. And every time you show up to get on the bike trail, you pay money to ride now on the bike that's trail. That's what
3: I can get behind. Toll bike lanes. I'm all why for not? it. Why not? All for it. Why not? If
1: you, to- if you uh, toll cars for the same reason, why wouldn't
2: you toll a bike? I'm just, Maybe just make people wear a toll a toll um, and patch I, on their ankle or something. I'm already
3: just <laughs> like so easy pass. I'm already help, I'm
1: already hated by most bike riders in the state uh, as it is. But the bottom line is, is yeah, I I don't think that we should be, and I don't care if somebody's. I know the guy. He's already he's writing it up right now to send me an email saying, no, oh no, that keeps them healthier and it saves us money on health costs and all the rest. We need to build a uh, a bike path from Little Rock to uh, Hot Springs.
2: Well, there is a bike path. It's, it's called, only going to cost,
1: what, $42 million? It's called a road. They can use the roads. No, no. no I, want, I want them off the road. I, I've almost run over some of them because mm-hmm. they think that they can ride out in the middle of the road at however fast they're going, and I'm going 40.
5: Yeah,
3: well... The law allows them to in some situations. So,
1: and I'm guilty if I happen to come around a blind curve and run up their butt. You know, don't mm-hmm. like it, don't want to do it, but sometimes it happens. Thanks, guys, for coming. It in. It was a pleasure to be Carl, with you today. Dave. Next week, be ready to talk infrastructure. All right, I'll try to bone you up on my infrastructure. You do the same thing, sir. We'll but see. Have you. fun. Pleasure but to be with you, you too. See you again. Take All right. Talk to we'll you guys you. later. Bible Thanks. guys are next all right time for the bible guys i'm gonna jump right in here and get ready because for the simple reason we got a lot of questions i want to thank everybody now as everybody is getting into this whole thing of sending us the questions early uh kind of i've gotten like five questions today from 3 30 until this the five o'clock hour mm. for you guys and we didn't get through all of them last week So we'll start off with the last one that we had sitting there. And I held on to this specifically because I thought you you like to talk traditions, Scott, Mm -hmm. and I thought you'd like to deal with this. Scott Stewart is here with us, pastor of Agape Church, 701 Napa Valley Drive in Little Rock. Uh, Sunday service time there is 10 o'clock, and their website is aclr.org. Billy Miller is here. He's also a pastor you're not pastoring right now except out at the, except out I the don't person. know why mm-hmm. I said it that way. That's the wrong way of saying it. He does pastor. He pastures out at Tucker. Absolutely. That's where you, where you do your thing.
12: All right. So. And Dave pastors on the radio. And Dave I mean, pastors. Really. No, not <laughs> really. Here we go. I try
1: to feed the sheep. I think that's what we try to do. There we try go. to, you know, keep you on the right way, you know, because there's a lot of stuff out there that. We, if you listen to the show just before this one, mm-hmm. we started talking about truth and stuff. And you know, if what you believe you it breaks against the Bible, the mm-hmm. Bible's the rock. If it breaks against the Bible, then you need to rearrange your truth. Absolutely, because there's only one truth.
12: That's right. And you, I mean, Dave, and you do provide a great uh, a great service because you're not going to turn on many other people and hear them. Uh, so. Uh, you know, openly talking about their faith and what is right and what is wrong. I don't know so, why
1: not. At least for most of my life, people were pretty open to talk about religious things. They mm-hmm, could yeah. do it without getting in, in arguments and stuff like that. Yeah. It's only been recently, yeah. very recently, that, oh, that's a private thing. If you believe that,
12: somewhere you didn't read the Bible. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. I, I'm so glad that, that, uh, the apostle Paul didn't think his faith was supposed to be private. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad that the apostles didn't believe well, it was Jesus supposed to be private. Jesus didn't
1: believe it was no. supposed to be private. What's the first thing he did? Gave him great commission. Go out.
12: That's go right. <laughs> it's just, it's just ludicrous.
13: Well, and yeah. that's, I think that's part of what we do is, is talk about the way things really were. I, I think it's part of the misunderstanding of, um, the way Christianity was and, and, and Judaism was at the time. Um uh, God never intended, and Judaism can't be uh, lived out properly in isolation. No. It, it is. It is to be a part <laughs> of the community. That's right. Uh, one of the worst things that could happen to you as a Jew was to be cut off from the community. So, mm-hmm. this whole uh, "I'm going to take my religion and go to a closet and hide" is about as anti biblical as it you gets. might not so.
12: like what I
5: think. <laughs>
12: yeah, right. and everything about the, the the way that the Jewish people would live out they you know they believe that the faith is a, an active word it's active. a doing you know it's you know we, we have this expression um and many people will say you know you'll sit you'll talk about a, you might have a small group and you'll read a verse of scripture and everybody will go around the the, the room and say what does that verse mean to you and you've got 15 different meanings for one mm-hmm. verse of scripture mm-hmm. uh, uh however jews don't ask those questions when they sit around a group. i love this it, go ahead they ask how do you do that verse because at the end of the day, if you're not doing it, they could care less what you think it means. That's right. So it's a doing thing, and you don't do things in isolation. You, you do things and in, in out public even the even Jesus said, "Let your good works be seen mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. men, so that they may glorify your Father, which is in heaven." This is not a uh, a secret faith. It's meant to be demonstratively demonstratively whatever open uh, and um, and for people to see it. Right, but first, but to question. it. first question. Go for it. <laughs> Sorry about that.
1: (laughs) Can you explain the kippah? Why is it sometimes called a yarmulke? Or yakima. Yarmulke. Yarmulke. I don't see any mention of this in scripture. So is it just a tradition? And if so, how old is it? Did Jesus wear one? Lastly, is this something that Christians who identify with Israel should be wearing? I see men wearing prayer shawls. So would the kippah fall into this same category? Sorry for all the questions about this same thing
12: but I'm really interested. Yeah. Okay. Uh well, uh, I appreciate you saving this for me from last week. I'm sorry I wasn't able to be with you guys. I know you had it's a good all right, show. buddy. Okay, I'll take this take the first one. Um the first Could you go ahead and read that first one again to me? The sure. first several parts. Can
1: you explain the kippa? Right. Why is it sometimes called a yarmulke? I don't see any mention of this in scripture. So is it just a tradition and if so, how old is it? Did Jesus wear one? Lastly, is this something that Christians who identify with Israel should be wearing? I see men wearing prayer shawls, so would the kippah fall into the
12: same category? Okay, Um, right. Well, I'll I'll, I'll take the easiest one first. The reason why it's called a yarmulke, uh, it's called yarmulke sometimes, that's the Yiddish um, way of saying kippah. It's the same thing. Okay. Yiddish is is basically, it's a... um, it's a European dialect from Poland and um, Ukraine, and basically it's a, it's an amalgam, amalgam of different uh, bits and pieces of different European languages, all thrown together. And they call it Yiddish. The Jews, all, many of them, came out of Europe, and so <laughs> it was kind of a uh, a very a very um, a kind of a dialect of the different European languages called called Yiddish. And so they call the kippa, they call it a yarmulke. It's the same, but it means the same thing. Okay. Basically, um, the word kippah itself actually means like a dome. Um, it comes from the word Kippur, which means to cover. You've heard of the Yom Kippur, Day of Covering, and Kippah, Kippur, Rim comes from the idea of a, of a covering. Um, its origin, um, well, it, it does. It, okay, so let me just kind of uh, kind of get a run in it. Um, the only th- thing we have in the Scripture that that mandates a head covering was the priest. The priests were required to wear a head covering. Uh, and um, as a matter of fact, the priests, when they were serving, if they were to remove, if they removed their head coverings, and they were uh, disqualified. Uh, and so, what would happen? Uh, particularly the high priest. Um, some of our earliest description of him um, shows us that he actually wore a hat under a hat. He, he was required to wear like a turban type thing that said "holy to the Lord" on the front of it. So, if he ever um, bent over. Uh, or if uh, someone ever was bringing a, a sacrifice and they stumbled and hit him. Uh, and just in case the turban was to slip off his head, he would wear a hat under it, a skull cap type thing, okay. to make sure his head did not become uncovered. Uh, and so it was basically meant um, that the priest would do. So the rabbi started saying, you know what, uh, God does not God does this for the priest, um, showing their head covered, meaning they're under the authority of heaven, and so the rabbi said, you know, anytime we do anything holy, like pray or study mm-hmm. Torah, we should probably also have our heads covered because we're doing a priestly thing. Right. And so they, by, so by rabbinic tradition, they started covering their head when they would pray or covering their head when they would uh, read Torah or cover their head when they would even talk about holy things, covering their head when they ate a meal because they were going to say a blessing, covering their head when they prayed for their kids because they're saying a blessing. And so pretty soon... It started to come You having to put the kippah on a lot during the day. No, so leave it on. Leave it on. So, and, and it became a tradition. Basically, where the rabbi said, "You know what? Our whole life is a worship. So right. we should probably wear it all the time." Um, so that's what happened. Some denominations within Judaism only wear it when you go to synagogue or when you pray. Others wear it all the time. Mostly, if you see someone wearing a kippah all the time, uh, they're Orthodox. Um, but so it, it's not biblically mandated for everyone to do. It was for the Levites. And what did God say? I want to make you a kingdom of priest. Right. And so again, they took that idea and said, if God wants to make us a kingdom of priest, when we do holy things, we should wear it as well. So it came out of that. It came out of, of being a tradition. But that developed much, much later uh, than um, than the biblical text. So, uh, and much later than the time of Yeshua. So Jesus would not have worn uh, one, worn a, a, um, a kippa, um, and we um, and he was obviously from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi, but he he would not have worn one. And I think some of the oldest pictures we have of people wearing them are around a um, thousand nine hundred yeah. AD. So um, and really
13: didn't become more pronounced until the 1200 and 1300 right so.
12: and you see some there's a couple of uh, mentions of it in the in the Talmud where it says one rabbi says I w- we should not walk more than six feet without our head covered um, because the presence of God is everywhere and, and wearing it, it's almost like you're under the Shekinah under the presence of God and apparently when the high priest when his if his turban came off the kippah that he had on was um, made out of what's called tehelet, which is a Hebrew word for blue, basically. So it was meant to be the color of heaven. So he was under the covering of heaven uh, in that in that sense. So um, Jesus would not have worn one, um, but that's kind of where the tradition comes from. It's a rabbinic um, dictate, basically, but it stems from the fact that the high priest was commanded to wear a head covering when he went about holy things. And so holy things have been interpreted into our life as a matter of fact, if you're talking to a Jewish person and they don't have a kippah on, and you say, I want to ask you a few questions, and you start talking about things and they start feeling that you're talking about really holy things. They well, want to put that on, don't well, they? What they'll do, yeah, they'll want to put it on, but if they don't have one, they'll start putting their hand on top of their, Cover head. their head. They'll mm-hmm. start covering their hand with their head because you're talking uh-huh. about holy things. And so. They'll start covering their head with their hand even. That's so,
1: interesting.
12: So the, the last part of that was – um, guy, The
1: guy says, uh, if we identify
12: with Israel, right. should we be wearing one? Well, typically um, the rabbis don't have any um, rules for uh, Gentiles, but um, they considered it an honorable thing to do. Yeah. If you go into a synagogue, whether you're Jew or Gentile, if you're a male – this only applies to males uh, – if you go to a funeral – um of of a jewish person or a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah you're doing this to uh to show honor to the god of israel uh and so if a gentile wants to do it as an honor of um, an act of solidarity with the with the jewish people i don't think there's anything wrong with that but there's no requirement or anything like that for uh for us to do that but there's nothing wrong with doing it um but um but uh, if you're going into a Jewish setting, yeah, uh, then you should do it. Uh, that's a-
13: that's when I wear mine. I wear mine uh, if if a I'm handling a Torah scroll, and b there's the the real possibility that I'm going to encounter um, ethnic Jews, uh, then I make sure that I've got mine on. I, that's more for me. That's more doing my best not to offend them in yeah. any way, form or fashion. Um, so that's that's trying to honor them as much as it is. I, I don't think God's going to strike me down for not having my kippa on, but uh,
12: I do that in an effort not to be offensive. Yeah, and I and I do the same thing. If I go to a synagogue service, I'll wear them. And as a matter of fact, if you go to most synagogues, there's basically a basket yeah. at the front door full of them, mm. uh, and you walk in, you grab one, and you stick it on your head, and you go and you sit down. And it's there because the 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 synagogue assumes that most people don't wear them 24 yeah. 7 but you're going into a synagogue service it's a holy setting it's like a temple thing and so you put a, a, a kippah uh, on biblically speaking I'll go ahead and say this biblically speaking um, m- the men would cover their head uh, when they would pray they put the prayer shawl over their head Right. Um, they would uh, during a time of mourning uh, they would, uh, David like it says that David covered his head as he wept and were, all the other men would cover their head in, in times of mourning so there is the idea of head covering during certain times. Yeah. But they would take it off when they stopped mourning. So it wasn't a continuous thing as it's developed into being right now. But I'll, I'll still wear mine If I'm in Israel, if I go to the to the western wall. They basically almost require, require you it. to do yeah. it. If you go into the, to the tomb where David's tomb is at, you'll put one on. Anytime you go into a holy site in Israel, yeah. there's a basket of uh, paper. Kippah's um, yeah, um, for all the men to put on their... Uh, Put on their head, so um, it's a matter of uh, honor and respect. And so,
13: now there was another part of that question that is one of my favorites, and that was, would Jesus have worn a prayer shawl? And oh. I think that there is prophecy there. Um, the answer to that is yes. Yes. Um, and one of the interesting prophecies uh, about Messiah is that the Messiah would come with healing in his wings. Yeah. Uh, and the word wings there is tzitzit, and that's literally the tassels that hung at the corners of that prayer shawl. So um, prophecy doesn't pretend that Messiah was going to be a chicken when he showed up. What it did um, say is that he would be Jewish and that he would wear his prayer shawl. He would be orthodox in nature. He would be wearing his tassels Mm. and that even his very tassels would have the power to heal, which is why the woman with the issue of blood, when she crawled through the crowd, she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. That's where the tassels hang is on that hem. So she's literally... What she's done is, she said, "I have enough faith, believing that you are Messiah. That Scripture says your very tassels can heal me, and I'm going to
12: prove it because Messiah has healing in his wings." Let me just can I throw a couple more things in there? about the yeah, about quick. The, okay. Um, also, during the Middle Ages, um, apparently, because the, because the kippah is like a hat under a hat, and, mm-hmm. and they wore a lot of uh, fedoras and hats and things. Um, during the Middle Ages, any time, um, and most Jews were in the peasantry. So anytime a noble would come along, they are required by law to take off their hat, their working hat or whatever, uh, as a sign of respect. Correct. To. And so but the rabbi said, we, we honor God more than man. So right. what we do is we're going to wear a little hat under our main hat. So if a dignitary comes by and we're required by law to take our hat off to keep from being killed, we'll do that. But our head is still covered right. as respect to God. And so that's why the kippah can be very, very small, as long as you've got a little covering there. To, uh, to protect your head. All
1: right. Got to get a break in. When we come back, let's talk about uh, predestination. Ooh, let me take up the rest of the show. <laughs> got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Got a great question for you all. All right. We've got three minutes to solve. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, wow. <laughs> predestination, Romans eight twenty eight through 30, seems to indicate that there are some that God had predestined to be his. Can there be some that are predestined to be lost, or am I misunderstanding what is meant by predestined? That's the question. This has been a question that people
14: have argued for a long time.
12: A long, long time. You got that verse there, Steve? Yeah. Why you read it off uh, for us? Verse
14: 30 says, moreover, whom he predestined these he also called. Whom he called he also justified, and whom he justified he also glorified. Okay. Uh,
12: What's what's the reference? I'll look up in the Greek.
14: It's a eight thirty.
12: What is it? What book? Romans eight. Romans. Romans eight oh, thirty. Okay. In
1: fact, uh, this person says Romans eight twenty eight through thirty. What's in twenty eight? It in says
14: twenty uh, eight says, and we know that these things work together uh, for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren.
5: All right. Okay.
14: Scott, that context in twenty nine is talking about Yeshua himself. Yes. Yep. Uh, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called.
12: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have to be um, when you when we look at things like this. Part of the part of the issue is you you have to. You have to understand what's being said from the perspective of the author. What is he trying to tell us? Um, and predestined, I think, in our day and age, it's an unfortunate way of looking at it. Because if we believe that God predestines um, everything in life, then then there is no free will to determine anything uh, that goes on. Shouldn't have churches, shouldn't have missionaries. What's the point of preaching preach, the gospel? Right? If everybody's already predestined to be saved or predestined to be lost, there's no point because no matter what happens, mm-hmm. that person's going to be saved. So shut down your evangelistic associations. Billy Graham wasted a lot of time. I mean, it goes on and on, uh, you know, down this uh down this rabbit hole. And also I think we have to understand that foreknowledge is not foreordaining. That's right. Right. Um God knows what's going to happen, but he doesn't cause it um to happen. And uh, and so there is a God knows who's going to be saved. He knows who's going to uh, to actually uh, accept him and who's not going to accept him. But at the end of the day, uh, it's not um, ordained. To the You're pausing me.
1: I'm pausing, <laughs> I'm pausing because and we got go to go to a break because we <laughs> got to get to the news. When we come back, Steve wants to add in on this. He has joined us as well in the studio. Let's get back to more of this when we come back. All right. Back with you. Steve is here. And Steve says that the Lord has a reason why he brought him here at this precise moment, <laughs> because he is ready to take on predestination. That's You're great. up, brother.
14: <laughs> That's funny. No, um, God predestined from the beginning um, that we would all be saved. Hmm. So when we talk about the idea that he predestines somebody, I think as uh, Pastor Scott was saying right before we went off, if he didn't, um if he only – those who um, have been called are going to be saved, then there's no point to go to all the nations and preach the gospel. And really it's kind of, of, of cynical and, and, and just terrible for God to create people pers- purposefully for to destroy them. But there's a story where Moses had had enough of the children of Israel, and he told God, Blot my name out of your book. And the idea is that everybody from the foundation of the world was written in the book. So everybody was predestined to be in God's plan. And Israel was predestined to go into the promised land, but they didn't go. And they chose not to go. But God's plan is for everybody to go to the place of promise, to overcome, to be delivered, to be saved, to be set free. It's our choices and actions that take us out of what he predetermined for everybody.
13: He
12: all mankind to be saved, is what it says. I
13: think Scripture says it is the will of God that none should
12: That's be right. lost. That's right. That's right. It's exactly. The it. the um we, we all know you have to take everything back into the Hebrew, and so the word predestined in Hebrew, um, is the word goral, uh, and actually means to, um, has a connotation of a a destiny, that God has, God has a destiny for each one of us, and that destiny or that destination is uh, God has a different destiny for for Steve than he has for me. you can accept it eternity right 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 you know there are many people who have been called by God but choose not to that, Run, God's right. destiny for me is to be to do x, but I can choose y because he gave me a free will to, but that doesn't mean that I'm falling out following his um his will for my life right. Sure. So um, one, of the,
13: one of the best sermons I ever heard and one of those that has continued to have an impact on my life over the years was a sermon titled, We Must Choose to Be Chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you don't need the entire content of the sermon. Oh, that's good. Man. That line is enough. We must choose to be cho- – God calls us all, but we choose whether or not to respond to the call. There's a
12: verse of scripture, and he probably used this verse, and it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Yep. And uh, what that basically means is, is that, that many are called, but few actually choose to accept to that calling that call in their mm-hmm. life. Uh, so, yes, God does have a destiny or a, a that predestination, that destiny comes from destination. God does have a destination for each one of our lives, but we have to choose to walk that out and to follow that and, destination. And
13: I'll slip on a pastor's hat for a moment. If you're sitting there today wondering whether or not God has something planned for your life, the answer is yes. God has called us all. And you need to choose to be chosen. That's right.
12: And I think what Pastor Steve mentioned was great because he says, when Moses says, Blot my name out of your book, which means his name was already in the book. Everybody's the is there. Yeah. And we remove it uh, as a matter of uh, of choice. All right. You guys ready? Yep. Here we go.
1: Why is it said? Se- this is Susan. And I got to add in the last part of the question here. Why is it said that there are only two tribes of Israel left? Are the other ten really lost, or are they no longer in Israel? What or who would make these people of the ten tribes leave their land? Will the lost tribes return to Israel
12: when Messiah returns? Well, the, I'll just take a part of it and then just let the guys handle it. I, I, The reason why they say there's only two tribes left is because when, after Solomon died, his son uh, Rehoboam uh, became king and Jeroboam, which was a general for um, Solomon um, took, this is a long story, but basically uh, a short story, but basically Jeroboam became, took the ten, 10, tribes and set up what we call the kingdom of Israel. Rehoboam stayed uh, in Jerusalem and governed what became known as Judah, which basically contained the tribes of um, Judah and Benjamin Um and because Jerusalem was of the land allotment of Benjamin, but really have to include Levi in there too, right. because you had Levi in it, but Levi, but you still had the separation because you have the half tribes of um, Manasseh and, uh, and Ephraim. Um, at any rate, so that's, that's why they say there's only two tribes left because the 10 Northern tribes were exiled into Assyria. The two nor- Southern tribes are exiled into Babylon The two tribes that went to Babylon came back from Babylon. The ten northern tribes never came back. Um, There's a theory out there that what happened is a lot of the ten northern tribes trickled down into the southern, and that's why Hezekiah had to expand the city. Was it twice the size or whatever? Uh, But it doesn't fulfill the prophecy where God says, I will regather you from even the islands of, of the sea. So right. we
14: know that some of those did go into the southern tribes because Kings uh records that just within a generation the size of Judah like doubled or tripled. And so they didn't just like have, you know, ten kids that particular year in every single family, but we know that after those uh after the Assyrians came in and judged the ten northern, some of them went, You know what, we should probably get back to serving God. Right. And then some they came down and, and infiltrated into the Judah, which ultimately became the Jews as we say today. Um, But there's all kinds of theories that that the ten northern tribes were dispersed throughout um, basically Europe and then ultimately come into the Americas. And they get ideas (coughs) like uh, British, meaning sons of the covenant. Um,
12: Because Brit means covenant, ish means man. But but even uh, Josephus, which is written in 70 A.D., long after the time of Hezekiah, after the time of Yeshua, he writes and he talks about the, the the ten tribes and he actually talks about where they are where they're actually still at. Mm-hmm. So the idea is they knew where the ten tribes were even during the time of yeah. of um, Josephus and James. Even in his letter, yep. writes to, to the, the, the twelve, 12 tribes. tribes that are scattered abroad. Right. So, but he calls them the twelve tribes that are scattered. So it wasn't just the ten. There were still some of the others that were uh, out there. And if I'm not mistaken, I think whenever. When Jesus was brought into the temple, what was the name of the lady? The Anna. Anna. And doesn't the, it doesn't it say that she was of the tribe of Asher or something like that? You know uh, what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I think it actually a mentions and says that she was from the tribe of Asher, I believe. So, yes, yeah, some of them came down, but the but the prophecy is that the, that the tribes that were scattered abroad, the Lord would bring them back even from the ends of the earth and I right. think even the islands of the sea. So just trickling down from the north doesn't fulfill that uh, scripture
1: okay so the
12: final part of the question when yeshua comes back do all these folks come back the answer is yes because one of the jobs of messiah is to regather the outcast of israel i think it'll
14: happen when he returns but there's a movement out there that thinks it's something that has to happen before he returns and i'm i don't think i don't i don't particularly personally prescribe to this idea that every single one of the nations in europe is the actual how you can identify the tribes. There are some people that believe that and teach that, uh, but I don't believe you can verify that. Uh, so there's really not a way to verify. Some will say it can be done through DNA and, and whatnot, but I'm just not sure that it's possible that only the Messiah himself could identify that.
1: All right. right. So there you guys have it. Okay, we got some other more questions. We'll go ahead and get our, our break in. Let me have, ask a real quick question. You know, there's magazines for everything. Mm-hmm. Is there a magazine out there for Christians who want to be, you know, Messianic believers that deal with questions about, you know, getting your Hebrew first roots? First Richard got magazine. one. What's it called? I can't remember what it's
14: called. Um, we'll have to look it up. <laughs> okay, we'll think okay.
1: about
12: that as we break. Go ahead real quick, Scott. This is the verse of Scripture, Luke 2, verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phineel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age. She was in the temple whenever Jesus showed up. So Asher, at least she, was from the tribe of Asher. Okay. That's where Kmart used to be, right?
5: (laughs) (laughs) If I'm not mistaken. Just (laughs) kidding.
1: I'm just kidding. Got to keep it light. Moving it along. Let's take a break. When we come back, what was the primary language that Jesus spoke? We'll find out when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. (laughs) All right. Back with you. Here's your next question. I feel like Jeopardy. Okay. Uh, what primary language did Jesus speak? You, well, you need to say, what
12: is Hebrew? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then we will say it's the primary language that Jesus okay. spoke. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so Hebrew. Hebrew most definitely it is did Zolanus. speak
14: Aramaic in and around, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and obviously Greek, probably yeah. a little Latin as well, but primarily within the synagogues it would have been Hebrew. And, and, and all, his day-to-day language would have been Hebrew.
12: Yeah, and we also know this based upon the um like the inscriptions we found um around the temple mount, the coinage that we found. Um there's uh, only I think they have found out of two hundred and fifteen different kinds of coins, ninety nine of them were in um right in Hebrew. Uh, only one had Aramaic and that was only on one side of one coin. The rest were in Greek because that was the Yeah. That was the lingua franca of the Roman Empire and it was the way coinage moved all around the empire. Uh but yeah and they, they even found the Bar-Kotva letters, um, Simon bar he was one who led a rebellion against the Romans, uh, against Hadrian about 132, 135, and they found letters he wrote all in Hebrew. Yep. Um, the only time you find Aramaic really is on tombstones, things related to the dead. Uh, Hebrew was the language of the living, and so they typically used Aramaic for related, related to dead things, and even to this day, uh, funeral dirges uh, that are sung among Jewish people are sung in Aramaic, not in Hebrew, huh, yeah. because it relates to the dead and not to the living. And so Hebrew would have been his language, most definitely. And that
13: that's a, a concept that um, tends to be an American sort of idea, because uh, as Americans, we don't tend, by and large, to be bilingual or trilingual, and particularly in that culture, in that day and age, because the yeah, trade maybe. language was different than the religious language, uh, which might be different than the dialect you spoke in your neighborhood. Almost everybody was at least bilingual. So yeah. that's the reason we have Paul and, and Saul, right? Mm-hmm. This is not God God didn't change his name. Don't want to burst anybody's bubble. God didn't change his name on the road. Mm-hmm. What he did start start doing is stopped using his Hebrew name and started using uh, the name that he used name. among the Gentiles. Yep. Yeah,
12: and, and Paul, if you remember, Paul was born in a Roman city. Right. He so a Roman you, citizen. Yeah, so you had, citizen. To, you had to have basically, you know, the name you dealt with, the government, the name that you dealt with, your family and your friends and everybody else. Amazing. With. It was
13: not uncommon at the time.
12: Yeah. All right. Can you explain
1: the death process as you understand it from the Bible? Do we die physically and our soul goes immediately to heaven or hell? Thank you.
14: Yeah, that's what uh, we all pretty much here at this table think happens. There's a group of people that believe in something that's called soul sleep, where uh, your soul goes into... Um, week, yeah, hibernation. Yeah, basically. hibernation, is- And then we, we will all be resurrected. It will be resurrected with our bodies on the day of judgment, and then our determination, either for eternity with God or eternity uh, absent from God in hell will, will be set at that point. But there are several scriptures that speak of... Um, as uh, we said, uh, Paul said to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, On this day you will be with me in paradise. So that we believe that when um, you close your eyes, your spirit then opens up, and whatever, wherever you fall on that. Um, and so if we've, we're believers in Christ, then we wake up in his presence. If we have rejected him and we are going to the place of torment, uh, and that place of torment, we will be resurrect those guys who are in that place of torment will be resurrected on the judgment day. What I call for the final sentencing into yep. the state pen. They go from the local county lockup up to your final final judgment.
13: Maximum security.
14: Correct.
1: Maximum
13: security. That's yep. that's maximum maximum security. Yeah, there absolutely. So I, I think part of the problem we have with this question is that we try to limit God to the same rules that we have to follow. Um, It's the same reason we describe God in in human terms, right? His hands, his feet. Um, God doesn't have hands and feet. Uh, Mm -hmm. God also doesn't have to play by the rules of time. God is outside of time. Uh, Time is something that God created. Um, And I'm not saying that we become gods, either little G's or big G's when we die. I'm not even saying we become significantly like God. Uh, But what we do is we take on some of those aspects. We become um, eternal in that moment either for good or for bad right. um, so we, our nature changes and, and I think that time has much less influence on us in that moment um, than it does And
14: now. we try to put it in that order because when it says things like they went to sleep then we have to try and you know reconcile that. Well they're asleep, they can't be in heaven because they're asleep And we're, right. well, they're just using a terminology that you would understand meaning their body is not dead. there mm. they're dead. that's all that means and we, we try to work around that whole time thing and I think it'll just make a little bit more sense when we get there.
13: There yeah. are lots of things that one moment after you die, you're gonna go, oh, "Ah, yeah. I see,
0: I see." Yeah.
14: I believe the uh, the first thing everybody hears when they get to heaven is when they slap themselves on the forehead yeah. and go, "Ah, I get it now." <laughs> All right,
1: this is uh, a long one here. Do you guys want this, or would you rather hear from the feminist? <laughs> and depends. We, I, oh. I was just watching. I was just watching Fox mm-hmm. here for a moment. And uh, the number one important thing for the Democrat nominee to believe is abortion. Yeah. It's well, I just number, have a hard time the first believing Here's, here's my over. hope. My that's hope is a, they just
13: keep getting stranger and stranger because they, they force even more people out of the middle. Okay,
1: so, so I want you. Okay, so next week. All next right? week. next all week. Next week. Let's and hear it. Rachel, okay. just hang in there. All right, we'll get to you. Here is lady by the name of Sophie Lewis. I played this earlier today. When it's done playing, you guys, I'm just telling you, ice in your veins. You ready? Here we go.
4: We're facing a really terrifying attack on abortion in the U.S. where I live, in Northern Ireland and elsewhere. In the past, the strategies that um, our side has tended to use have included a kind of seeding uh, of ground to our enemies. We tend to say um, that abortion is indeed very bad, but, or we say, um, luckily, it's not killing. Luckily, it's just a healthcare right. We have very little to lose at the moment when it comes to abortion. And I'm interested in winning radically and I wonder if we could think about defending abortion as a right to stop doing gestational work. Abortion is, in my opinion, um, and I recognize how controversial this is, um, a form of killing. It is a, a form of um, killing that uh, we need to be able to defend. Um, I am not interested in where a human life starts to um, exist. Um, I see the forms of making and unmaking each other as sort of continuous processes. Um, the other end of the spectrum is the process of learning how to die well and hold each other and let each other go at the end of our lives as well as at the beginning. Um, but looking at the biology of this kind of hemochorial placentation helps me think about Um, the violence that innocently a fetus meets out um, vis-a-vis a a gestator. Um, And that violence is is an unacceptable violence for someone who doesn't want to do gestational work. Um, The violence that that gestator meets out to essentially go on strike or exit, (laughs) that, that workplace is an acceptable violence.
1: You know, I've listened to that now eight or nine times, mm-hmm. and now I'm past the shock of what the person has said to the point that it breaks my soul.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
13: yeah. That is, um, I I guess I'm happy that they've finally gotten to the point where they can admit that it's killing. Um, perhaps that will help wake up some of the people who are on our side of things, Um the rest of that is absolute insanity. Um,
12: but I think you know, to, to 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 you know, moving away just from the the horribleness of, of the statements, the fact that she would actually categorize those who just disagree with her as an enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, not it's not just saying okay, we have two people yeah. that have different opinions. You are my enemy. Yeah. Um, I think that because a, you're going to force me to be a
1: gestational worker. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's I, called being a mother.
13: We have gone a long way from children are as the arrows in the quiver and children are a pleasure and children are the blessing. reward yeah. and children are the blessing to um, this thing growing inside of me is doing me harm and hurting me and I, my right to harm it is more significant than its right doing to harm violence. me. Doing violence. Doing violence, yeah. Doing it is violence. It is more acceptable for me to do violence to it than allow it to do violence to me. That is, uh, it's wickedness, pure and simple. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm shocked.
12: I mean, it's hardly, how do you even respond to some such, right. you don't. you just, I, I've
14: moved away from, uh, we talked about this as something that came up a few weeks ago. And for some of these things, I've just kind of moved away from being angry to really being, like you said, hurt for people yeah. because they don't know they're going to open their eyes as we just talked about. And they are going to find out that they have been lied to in a massive way. And they're going to stand before the Creator, who said, "I made that thing. I put inside you. That thing you took a knife to. Yeah. Get away
1: from me." I'm that was a blessing, before. and you right. made it into a curse. Right. You
12: know, I, I've heard, and I could be wrong, but I've heard that uh, since the whole New York um, laws, that actually the pro-life movement has grown. Yes, it has, yes, it has. Yeah. since that. Yeah. And uh, and like Billy was saying, it's it's a good thing. They're actually saying, okay, yes, we now do. it just quite admit that we want to do this. And um, maybe it actually is it's good for our for our side. I wish and when when the the political side of things comes around, I wish somebody
14: because you're not going to get this on the regular media. But during a debate, just stand up and go, let me tell you what the left is after. They want you to be able to let your little boys be girls, your little girls be boys. They want they want. White northeastern women be able to call themselves Native Americans. Women who live in in Washington state be call themselves African American women. When they're white Nebraskan women, they want to be able to carve children and throw them in the trash, and for you to have sex with whoever want whatever you want. And when it's inconvenient, go ahead and carve it out and throw it in the trash. That's what they want.
1: And they also and they want don't you, articulate
14: what they believe. They also well want of. you to die well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming too. Yeah. So well, there was just a story. It's um, sad.
13: This past week, maybe where. 19-year-old girl. Now, she had been raped at some point, uh, and I think there was some abuse in the home, too. Uh, but she decided she wanted to die, and the doctors and her parents facilitated that. Um, she, under, was 17 and she was 17. Was she
14: 17? In, I think she was in uh, Norway or someplace over there, and then she was raped when she was 14 and said she could not tolerate the trauma any longer, and she was so le- than legally to get, committed suicide. Yeah, so there, rather
13: than getting her help, they – well, they helped her. Yeah, no, they they
14: the in the wrong Europe
1: way. is
12: our future if we do not hold yep. on to yes, God exactly. we're in, we're the Messiah. That's exactly what we're working
1: on. All right. I thought that that would stun you guys. <laughs> yeah, it is. Pretty amazing. Yeah, amazing. All right. Just tell your friends, not all about a woman's right to choice. There's a lot to that that needs to be discussed. We're out of time, guys. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Bible Guys over next week. Macy and the community helping those who are trying to become back hooked up with their Hebrew Roots. roots. Why don't they help more? We'll talk about that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great night.